return. On the 25th anniversary of the event, in 1994, Neil Armstrong made a rare public appearance and held back tears as he spoke these brief cryptic remarks before the next generation of taxpayers as they toured the White House. Today we have with us uh, a group of students among America's best. To you, we say, we've only completed a beginning. We leave you much that is undone. There are great ideas undiscovered, breakthroughs available to those who can remove one of truth's protective layers. has two surfaces, the one we see and think is a moon, a rock in space. It's 184 kilometers thick on the side we see, but behind it is a control system, and I think he may be saying something about a black cube. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We're going to be talking to Crow777 a little bit later um, about the lunar wave and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, but first, as always, flip flopping Graham Stance Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Should I call you Ray? No, Graham's <laughs> fine. Just Graham. What do you mean flip flopping Stance? Was that from tonight's episode? Yeah. You're taking material from the episode <laughs> that's not even out yet. It's this episode. Yeah. Is there something wrong with that? No. Flip flop, flip flopping a little bit. I don't care. You've changed your view on this podcast before. Fuck that. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got uh, Crow777 on who's been taking, like, super high-def videos of <laughs> of uh, the moon, and he's caught this lunar wave that, like, transverses the moon. It's pretty crazy, and lots of UFOs in there, uh, chemtrails and orbs uh, within the chemtrails. It's, it's, it's crazy. Crazy stuff. It's good, good video. Yeah, you can spend... Uh... You can get lost on that YouTube channel for sure. It's yeah. fun chat. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the longer ones. It was a good one. Um, he's anonymous for reasons, I guess. I don't blame him. I mean, we're all we're all semi-anonymous in a way. What do you mean? On the internet, you know what I mean? Like, even us, we don't put our addresses on there. P.O. Box. Yeah, because people can track us down pretty easy. I guess someone could stake you out at the P.O. box and then fucking tackle you. Well, I was thinking that, like, today uh, a cop uh, turned his lights on behind me, and I thought he was going to pull me over. And I used to be, I used to get nervous, of course, but now I don't give a shit, right? But I was thinking, what's so funny? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, people. Darren's got pictures of... Ray from Ghostbusters <laughs> out because apparently this is a Twitter campaign that people think I might look like Ray from the Ghostbusters, which is really just Dan Aykroyd, right? Yeah, and they just picture you as Ray from the Ghostbusters. They've and never, apparently, it's never a seen pretty you. close call. Yeah, but it's not bad. When you do the fit, do the face thing again. What was I talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, what was I talking about? Oh, the cop light thing and then being anonymous, right? And I was thinking a cop could pull me over 
and type in my name and find the podcast and find what we talk about and have like a shitload of information about me in a couple minutes and then pull me over and do what he wants to me, really. <laughs> what does he want to do to you? Give me tickets. For what? Well, for whatever they want, right? They can say, do you, did I tell you that day when I forgot to put my insurance sticker on my, on my license plate? No. And the cop pulled up beside me and he gets me to un- unroll my window. He's like, yeah, you Graham Dunlop? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he says, you got your insurance, right? You forgot to put the sticker on your license plate. So he had tracked me, tracked all that information down by the time he tagged my plate to when he pulled up beside me. I'm yeah. like, yeah, sorry, buddy. I forgot. Thanks for the reminder. Did you actually have done it? Did I do Did you it have the that? sticker? Already? I had the sticker in my glove box. and I, I forgot to put it on the plate. So huh. that's pretty crazy, eh? So, well, you're breaking the law by not putting a sticker on the plate. Yeah, he said something like, "Oh, that's usually a three hundred dollar fine or something like that." Sure. So, anyways, he was nice to me. Yeah. So what's the problem? Just thought he ran your plate because it was expired. You could be out there fucking without insurance, smashing into people. Yeah, imagine back in the party days, him pulling him beside me. I wouldn't be able to get the window undone. Oh, my buddy got my buddy got my buddy got pulled over that way because his handle was broken and a cop pulled up beside him and he asked him to unroll his window and the handle was broken, so he had to scramble around for the thing and he was just hammered. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, I remember one time I blew a red light right in front of a cop. Really? And fucking, he started chasing us, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> so I like I pulled into like a Burger King par- parking lot and like flagged him up beside me. So that he pulled up on his passenger side because he was behind me. And then he rolled down his window so he couldn't smell my breath or smell the car or nothing. And I was like, hey, man, do you know how to get to blah, blah, blah? He was like, oh, yeah, you fucking head back this way. You boys aren't from around here. That's pretty tricky, buddy. I had Ontario plates still on my car back then, so it was everything fit. I, everything was, I'm not from around here. Wow, that's pretty tricky. So yeah, I ran Alberta plate. I ran Ontario plates for fucking like a year and a half, I think. Hmm. Two years. I remember getting pulled over once in Vancouver, and and I think I had had a couple beers at the time, and I was and uh, and she said, "Have you got any tickets lately?" And in my head, I hadn't had any tickets lately, right? I had like a few tickets a year and a half ago or something, or a couple of years ago. So she went back to check my record. And she came back to the car freaking out on me. You said you hadn't had any tickets lately. And you've had three tickets in the last couple of years or something like that. And I was like, so? What? That's not lately? Like, and she's getting all upset. Like, <laughs> depends on your your uh, view of lately. <laughs> I thought you meant like in the last couple of months. <laughs> and she, she somehow let me go. But man, she got angry. You lied to her. No, I didn't. I thought I was telling the truth thought this is the problem it's all perception it's all perception but i don't have to be it's kind of a milestone for me tomorrow buddy i don't have to be scared behind the wheel anymore why not that i used to drink and drive a lot but i gotta admit i did a couple times oh i did seven years tomorrow sober that's a celebration that's a celebration seven years no no uh no drugs or alcohol or any mind-altering substances besides nicotine and caffeine i guess some people do argue that those are mind-altering Nicotine, caffeine, yeah, and what? Just those two. But you don't do nicotine? Not anymore, but I was. Oh. Uh, after I stopped drinking, I smoked for a couple of years after. You're whispering now. 
Fuck, you're hard to control. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> All right, so it's time for Graham's favorite segment, the UFO Quote of the Week. This one's appropriate based on our discussion tonight with Crow777. I've been over the years very skeptical like many others, but in the last 10 years or so, I have known the late Dr. Alan Hynek, who I highly admire. I know and currently work with Dr. Jacques Vallée. I've come to realize that the evidence is building up to make this a valid and researchable question. Further, because my personal motivation has always been to understand our universe better, and my own theoretical work has convinced me that life is everywhere in the universe that has been permitted to evolve. I consider this a very timely question. By becoming more involved with the serious research field, I've seen the evidence mount towards the truth of these matters. I rely upon the testimony of contacts that I have had, old-timers, who were involved in the official positions in government and intelligent and military over the last 50 years. We cannot say that today's government is really covering it up. I think that most of them don't know what is going on any more than the public. And that was Dr. Ed Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut. Or was he? <laughs> he was Apollo 14's fake astronaut. Good one, buddy. Can't catch you off guard, eh? No, I'm all ready, buddy. Always ready. So what do you got for me? Well, I got some... I want to get into the new website and stuff like that eventually, but we might as well do that uh, later. All right. Well, I got a follow-up email uh, from our, our new friend there, Chris uh, Chris D. He was the one that uh, <laughs> sent us that note about Math Magic Land. So he says, uh, hey, Graham, I listened to the mindfulness episode number 108 yesterday. Hey, the number thing's working. People are actually even putting it in the, what? One and eight, 108 equals nine. Oh. oh. Someone told me that was the number of reincarnations it takes to achieve enlightenment. Nine only? 120, 108. Oh, 108. Well, that's also the beads on the the, uh, meditation beads. There's a lot of 108s, yeah. What's the square? 108 times 108. Yeah, there's a, there's a, another sacred. There's a couple different sacred things about 108. Is 108 there? reincarnations, huh? Yeah. That was Twitter, though, so it's sketchy at best. So if you, if you averaged um, 108, if you averaged how many years per lifetime, let's say, let's say 40 years, even if you were like to linear reincarnate like constantly, that's 43. 20. Oh, that's a sacred number too. 4320, isn't it? But you just made up a couple of numbers. Is it it a synchronicity? 4,320 years if you're just like linear reincarnated every 50 years to reach enlightenment. So really, even if you went to 80, it's achievable in the amount of time. People are just popping into enlightenment here in the last fucking couple hundred years. No, but you've got to average it out because people die when they're young too, right? In some reincarnations, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's probably good. So that's a pretty good number for, I wonder what's going on, like, about uh, 2,300 years ago. Because I bet you those people are starting to become enlightened. You mean uh, B.C.? Yeah. The people that started their journey in 2,300 B.C. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe this is your last kick at the can. Yeah, I'm not even close, buddy. 
I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over. Did you forget I was in the middle of an email? And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. So mindfulness was the 108 episode. How coincidental. And uh, he says, where in the intro, you guys discussed the synchro that I sent you about the Math Magic Land movie and how you'd use some of the auto from it in the intro to Randall Carlson episode a while back. I realized that Randall Carlson episode was the one that introduced me to Grimerica, so I have heard it already. I'm guessing that hearing that episode a month or so before the party is what dusted off the buried memory of Math Magic Land in my subconscious and made it available for me to recall, which led to the synchronicity. So your podcast may have induced this little synchro to dig a layer deeper. I'd like to find out who the other person is that recommended math magic land to Devin earlier that day to find out somebody he knows somebody he was talking about math magic land to a month ago when he first listened to it. Yeah. He was in the car. Oh, you got math magic land. He told his buddy, told his buddy, told his buddy. And then they meet and talk about Math Magic Land again, which was all started because of the episode of Randall Carlson. Oh, you were more making our own synchros now. (laughs) (laughs) Would that increase or decrease the synchronicity? Obviously increase it, right? Uh, I don't know. I was thinking the other way, but I think it could go either way. He says he's got to find that out now and he'll let us know. I'd like to know if the Grand America show created its own synchronicity. Yeah, oh, I'm sure we have. Many, probably. The mindfulness episode is 108. I don't get it. Oh, it's okay. He says, also, I love how the email ended up on the mindfulness episode as my life has been greatly enhanced by the practice and its teachings. Ever since I got my hands on the book Insight Meditation by Joseph Goldstein almost 10 years ago. So he says he's also, uh, his band has come out with a recent album called Humanimation. Humanimation. I don't think I said that right. Humanimation? Yeah, humanimation. And he says it's quite eclectic, so we might we might like some of it. And he's actually playing in Calgary at Metal Fest on June 6th, so I might have to go check him out. To Metal Fest? Yeah. For just that one show. <laughs> actually, I like, I like the odd metal. Can we use the music in the podcast? You betcha, buddy. Fuck yeah. I sent you the link, so. Perfect. So thanks for the email, Chris. It was awesome. What's next? Well, I'll... Uh, I got a couple kind of dreamy, uh, lucid dreamy, uh, uh, pre-cog, OBE type stuff. So can I jingle this stuff? You want you want to jingle it? Jingle it. I don't have any jingles for that kind of stuff. We need more jingles, man. We need like lucid dreaming jingles, trip report jingles. Um, what else was the other one I was thinking? Pre-cog about? jingles. Pre-cog like ripple stick. Ripple there was another, stick. There was another one too. But I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm just going to keep playing the shitty drum roll. Yeah, that sucks. Okay, so this is from um, Ryan. He's been uh, writing in on and off. Yeah, you bet. Winnipeg. (coughs) Really? Winterpeg, as we call it. yeah. So uh, Ryan says, hey, after listening to many of your podcasts and donating, thank you very much, Ryan. I thought you would. Sh- I would share a few of my own personal deja vu slash out of body dream experiences. So these two emails that are coming up from uh, donators or subscribers are interesting because they kind of combine OBE, lucid dreaming, and uh, 
sleep paralysis and or deja vu together. So it's interesting. So you can share the following on the, on the pod if you want, if you think they're worthy. Approximately 19 years ago, a bunch of friends and I were planning a trip out to Banff, find some possible job opportunities. My friends did all the planning and I was the driver. They arranged the accommodations as they knew the area. Prior to this road trip even being discussed, two to three months prior, I had a dream. The dream was of a white, long hallway with many doors on both sides with dimly lit sconce lighting between the doors. A hotel. I remember the dream because of the messed up orange and red pattern of carpet of the carpet on the hallway and wondered to myself while dreaming, what is this place and why is it in my dream? Months later, and as a 20, as a 1200 kilometer road trip to Banff came to an end, we pulled into Canmore and to our hotel. As I entered the lobby and looked to my right, there it was, that deja vu feeling. But I've never been to Canmore before this road trip. This long white hallway of rooms with the exact sconces carpet pattern I dreamt two to months Two to three months prior. What the fuck? You know I've what's dreamt- fucked up? I've stayed in that hotel. No. That's I, that's the hotel we stayed in when we were working out there. Really? The big long one on the side of the highway. I wonder if that's oh, the one, the I big wonder- long it's one It's right probably there. got like a red and called. orange carpet. Yeah. Next time I drive through there, I'll go check it out. Yeah, I stayed there for like three months. Wow. I wonder if that was the same time he stayed there. That'd be too crazy. That would have been eight so years he, ago. Eight seven, years ago? Seven years seven ago. Seven years ago? I think he said that. Did he say that? No, he said after college. You never know. Hmm. Maybe he's the one who beat up Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you beat anybody up while you were there? <laughs> oh. So <laughs> that would be interesting if he was actually working for you guys at the time or something. No, I'd know then by the name. All right. I've dreamt of flying too, and most of my vivid experience of just me running really fast and then jumping to start my flight. That's how I can do it sometimes too. Uh, whenever I would dream of flying, I would wake up exhausted as if I'd been on a long jog and a cloudy mental feeling, like an allergy. That would that would pass within a couple hours of waking up. When I was 16 year old, I had a dream. I was flying over a large hotel in my hometown. I remember seeing the color, texture of the roof, placement of the vents air conditioning units, etc. A few months after this dream, my parents took me to fly in a helicopter for the first time in my life. Also the first time I'd ever been in any type of aircraft. I don't remember why the helicopter was available. It may have been part of the town fair or fundraiser. Anyway, the helicopter lifted off at the airport of the hotel I dreamt of. I started having a strange feeling. Not sure if it was because it was the first time in my aircraft or whatever. As the pilot started out on his flight path, we came closer to a local hotel. As we flew closer to the hotel, that deja vu feeling again. At this time, I realized the flight path we were on was the exact path I flew over the hotel in my dream and at the same height. I was looking out the video recording of my dream, only with the helicopter. The roof texture, color, vents, air conditioning units were all the exact same place. I was curious about what I dreamt of years later when I started to learn about out-of-body experiences and wondered if that's what I experienced all those years ago. I remember your past pods, you talk of lucid dreaming. I seem to get to a state in my dream almost 90% of the time where I know I'm dreaming and can't control what I do in the dream. I consciously can make decisions on where or what to do in the dream at that time, not just have that observer feeling. I had a few dreams where I can actually experience taste, smell, temperature, and touch as if I was fully awake. I also experience slider phenomena almost weekly when driving under street lamps at night. It rarely happens when, I'm a, when I have a passenger with me. 
Anyways, take from the above what you want of my ramblings. Keep up the awesome work, guys. Love the pod. What's a strider? Slider? Is that when you see the streaks coming out of the lights? No, I think it's when the lights go off, like when you have that electronic effect on lights. Like the Matrix? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't even I'm know if that's sure, really though. in the Matrix. I, isn't it in that? It's in one of those movies where... Yeah, all the lights go down yeah. the street and it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you so, think? Out of body or precog lucid dreaming? I don't know. That's like precog. That's putting the ripple way before the stick, though. Why? Because it's two months, you mean? Yeah, but uh, maybe it doesn't matter. Probably doesn't matter. What I don't if, think time would matter. What if he's, he's going out of body to see... If that's already see, possible, like, then been. I don't think time matters. <sighs> Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Do you ever get the deja vu feeling where you would actually uh, remember it being a dream? Because usually my deja vu feelings are are no more than a feeling. Like, I can't actually associate it with an actual dream or memory. It's just a feeling. Yeah, I can't really place the last time I really had a deja vu. Yeah, I don't, it's been a while for me, too. Because you're looking for it now. No, maybe because I'm just right on the, on the right path. It's just, it's just it's no. Because <laughs> you're in your 108th reincarnation. That's right. <sighs> Perfect. Anyways, thanks for the email, Ryan. I, th- I, think it's, I think it could be a combination of out-of-body and lucid dreaming. I think there's an overlap there. Both could be. Yeah. But either way, it's pretty cool that you had that precognition of it. I think it's precog, 100%. Yeah. The helicopter flying over makes it. Seals the deal. Before that, it could have been out of body. But then if it's the exact same path, then it's precog. <laughs> You're pretty, so I'm pretty sure of that, there, buddy. I am sure. If I'm going to be an authority, then I need to sound like one. <clears throat> wow. Biatch. So what's <laughs> up next? All right. So <clears throat> this is a long one. And, I, and in these intros, we like to sort of be a little more interactive and stuff and, you know, read people's emails and feedback and experiences and stuff like that. So uh, I've got one from Sarah, who's a new subscriber. Let's see how many times Graham stumbles. And I was going to... It's a game. Did you I stumble have to drink every time Graham stumbles. <laughs> I don't know. I don't notice anymore. I was going to try to uh, summarize it, but I, I don't think... Um, only when there's typos. You only stumble on the typos. So, yeah, please proofread your <laughs> your spam before you send it to me. <laughs> People are gonna make <laughs> they're gonna make intentional fuck ups read now. Anything? Let's test it. Well, because I don't, you know, I don't go over it in practice or anything. I just read it off the cuff. So, oh, I was gonna ask you about this. Do you know what that means? What? Ask me when you read it. What does it say? Do TLDR. Talk later. Too long. I don't know. Too long. Disregard. No. TLDR. Yeah, I'm terrible with. I don't know the fucking slang. Pop culture. Google will know. TLD. Pop culture abbreviation. Is there a space? TLDR? Uh, Semicolon. TL semicolon DR. What's a semicolon? It's a colon with a comma at the bottom. Too long, didn't read? Oh, maybe, yeah. I was close. I got too long, right? There you go. Well, you're about, I think they were still doing longhand when you were a boy. I did learn to write. <laughs> I learned to type too. That was probably the best class I ever had. Typing? Yeah, it was probably the most valuable skill coming out of school is fucking typing. Eh? Can you yeah, imagine? I'm to make someone a good secretary someday. 
<laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> hey, give her. <laughs> okay, she says, you guys are awesome for talking about this on your show. I've had some crazy sleep paralysis slash lucid dream slash OBE experiences and wanted to share since most people think I'm crazy when I try to talk about it and I'm totally going to make a donation. So thank you for the subscription, which she talked her old man into. And uh, this is kind of why we do the show, eh, Darren? Because, yeah, you can't just talk to normal people on the street about it or your friends and all that. So we have a platform here where we can talk about this in a non-judgmental way and learn from it. Usually non-judgmental anyway. Yeah. The only one that gets judged around here is Graham. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm okay with it. So first I would like to say that you guys... 108th reincarnation. Just bounces right off you. You're zen. So first of all, I'd like to say that you guys do a really good show. I'm a new listener, so I'm not sure if I have the names exactly right, but I'm pretty sure you're the ones that have interest in lucid dreaming. If I'm wrong... Oh, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was because it was to me. Sorry. (laughs) I don't get it. That's okay. (laughs) I recently listened to your episode with Robert Wagner and I really enjoyed it. I've been having sleep paralysis since I was a child. And <laughs> Continue. I don't think this is a serious thing. I've been having sleep paralysis since I was a child. But it has recently developed into something much more intense. When I was little, I started lucid dreaming on a regular basis. I believe my brain somehow allowed me to do this to protect myself during nightmares. The sleep paralysis seemed to be a different thing altogether and would be brief, although terrifying episodes of being aware while my body was being asleep. I just want to clarify to Sarah that we're not laughing at all at this email or the content. Darren's laughing at me because I fucked up. Yes. Okay. See how intuitive I can be. (laughs) Right after we talked about it. Yeah. A few years ago, I started getting sleep paralysis very intensely if I was trying to sleep in my master bedroom. I haven't, I hadn't been having many episodes as an adult, so I thought it was strange. I would be convinced that someone was in my house ready to attack me. They were just all round scary experiences and I didn't like them. The only way I could stop is if I moved from my living room to my couch to sleep. Now that's interesting, eh, Darren? That sleep paralysis would be happening in one area of the house and not the other. Like that actually kind of adds to the case that sleep paralysis isn't just a fucking mental phenomenon, right? Like really. Or is it? I don't know. It, could, is it nah, you could argue that of, either way. Yeah. Maybe you feel safer, more yeah, open yeah. in the living yeah. room. Yeah. That's interesting. You could argue that either way. So a little while after I started, after I stopped sleeping in my master bedroom at all, when my daughter was still taking naps in the afternoon, I would sometimes nap on the couch at the same time. I started having these intense sleep paralysis events during these naps. I would fall into the typical way, but this time I would feel these intense vibrations all throughout my body, but seemed to be coming from my head. I can't stress enough how intense these vibrations are. They are so strong I could barely stand it. I seem to remember the first time it happened, I was trying to tell myself to relax and see what would happen, but the fear was very great, and I kept waking up and falling back into it over and over. I believe that I already done some reading about astral travel because of some strange dreams that I had that didn't seem like normal dreams. 
So I already had the concept of being able to leave kicking around in my brain. I could not get over the fear, however. Sometime after that initial experience, there had been a night where my husband had fallen asleep with me on our couch. These experiences were different because it seemed to happen mid-sleep rather than at the beginning of trying to relax to sleep. So usually sleep paralysis is, is, uh, happens at the beginning or the end when you're in that hypnagogic state, right, Darren? So this is happening in the middle. Like when it happens to my girlfriend, it happens in the middle of the night, not just in hypnagogic. And I don't know, maybe you can go into hypnagogic. Yeah, I think and you then, maybe half woke up. Yeah, right. And then it happened, but you don't really realize you're awake. So anyways, uh, I basically kept falling into the vibrations over and over, but I was facing my hallway. Every time I would fall under, I would see this black mist type stuff appear in front of my guest bathroom. To me, it seemed as if I was trying to take shape, as, as if it was trying to take shape of some sort. I was able to stop it from happening by changing my position, moving my head out of the line of sight of the hallway. One thing I'd like to mention as well, during these unpleasant episodes, I would fall under repeatedly. The coloring of the room around me would be so strange. It wasn't like a huge difference, but a subtle difference as if someone put a filter over my eyes. I don't even know if my eyes were closed during these events. So fast forward to sometime in the first half of 2013, my husband and I were watching a movie one evening. After it was over, he went over to the computer desk, which is in the same room. I stayed on the couch and drifted off. Soon after I was in the middle of being aware while asleep, this experience was much different. I could feel the vibrations they were definitely there, but it was as if I had put them on mute somehow. My fear level was very low. By that point, I had done some more reading about sleep paralysis and knew how some people think you can spring from it into an OBE. I remember trying to get up off the couch, but this didn't work at all. So I could basically see behind my eyelids like we do when we're awake. And as far as I remember, this was the first time that happened. All of a sudden, I could see a ring, a blue ring. It looked like when you see a bright light and close your eyes and you can see the neonish imprints. It was like that, but like a fluid blue ring. I remember telling myself to go through the ring. So after I tell myself. Prints on both sides. <laughs> after I tell myself all this, all of a sudden I can see this beautiful skyline of trees. The sky is amazing. Like pink, red. I remember thinking, oh, wow, I can do whatever I want here. I should probably fly around. So I started to fly upward, and I guess I got too excited and maybe a little afraid, and all of a sudden I was back on my couch. I didn't completely break from the experience, though. I remember being aware that I was on my couch and then going somewhere else. I can only remember that the place I went seemed very familiar as if I'd been there many times before with people I knew. I briefly saw a reflection of myself wearing a yellow shirt, and that was it. So this first positive experience that I can remember seemed to be able to happen because my husband was in the same room and awake. I think that's what brought my fear down and allowed me to do more. The next memorable experience I had was several months later. It started the same way with being aware and then seeing a blue circle. I believe there were two smaller circles this time. I went through them and then was in this strange place. It was kind of like a park, I guess. Everything was kind of dark and wintry there but there was no snow and it was daylight. I went over to the circular clearing by trees and there was a blue figure that was sort of like forming. Hard to explain, but I was circling the figure while it was happening. I remember telling myself to get away from what was happening there because I was afraid I would get knocked out of the experience. 
I went over to a different area and decided to try and look at my hands. My hands were very pale and looked as if I was looking through them like water or as if they were close to flames. They were rippling is the best way to describe it. I then decided to fly, but I could only fly in a circular motion. I did this faster and faster. And as I did went higher and higher until I was in space, then I was knocked out of the experience. This last experience I would share was probably the most profound one. I still don't know what to think of this. I would like to stress that this happened well before I heard your episode with Robert Wagner and well before I even knew of your podcast. It was September 2014, right around my birthday. It was in the early morning hours and I had a few drinks the night before. I guess I might have woke up some when my husband got in from work. Not sure exactly why this happened near the end of sleeping rather than at the start. Either way, I started going into being aware while asleep and even seeing the blue rings. And I remember not being able to go through them probably from the alcohol. (laughs) This went on for some time. I think, Oh, and then she says, I think the alcohol might've had something to do with the hindering. Oh, it's a synchro, but I I don't know for sure. Eventually I was able to go through the rings and I was in space below me. There was this very large burning planet or star. Not sure, but it scared me. I remember thinking, No, I want this to be positive. The burning orb turned out to be a very beautiful blue orb. I don't believe it was Earth because the entire thing was blue, and it was also light in color. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if my grandmother was here? She died in 1992, and then she was there. She was wearing some kind of white robe thing. She looked like herself, but younger. She took my hand, and we started flying over this amazing blue orb thing in space. This is the weird part. When she took my hand, I had this amazing feeling wash over me. It was like a physical feeling of happiness. My whole body was tingling, and it was so moving that I was crying. My words cannot describe how amazing this felt. It was so intense that it actually knocked me out of the experience. I was half awake on my couch crying, my whole body still tingling with this pleasure not sexual. I remember mouthing the words, I love you so much over and over. It actually seemed like I was saying it out loud. But when I woke up a bit later and asked my husband who was still awake on his computer, if he had heard me saying, and he said he hadn't, this experience was amazing, but also gave me some concern. I have a high interest in NDEs. And honestly, it seemed a lot more like one of those rather than a lucid dream or an OBE. After hearing Wagner on your show, it really makes me wonder if I hadn't just requested something from the awareness behind the dream and was given something spectacular. I didn't request unconditional love, though, just my grandmother. So that puts me back into thinking it was some kind of spiritual experience. Maybe they're all actually spiritual experiences. Who knows? I was also really pleased with Wagner mentioning how you can't control everything in lucid experiences. I always thought I just wasn't powerful enough or whatever, but I guess that is normal. It seems to actually take a lot of effort when I control myself and what I do in these things, like I'm swimming against a current. I also wanted to mention that I've always really felt that when I'm, that I'm leaving my body when these things happen. Wagner mentioned that this afterglow, after, afterglow, after lucid dreams. I'm experiencing something like that, but it's negative for me. My head always really hurts after these, and I feel completely drained. It feels like I've just done something really taxing and doesn't seem like it's all just in my head. So anyways, I think it's really great that you guys talk about this stuff on your show. I would love for you to explore it more. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Sarah. Huh. I, uh... 
I also know what she means about being tired after an intense dream. Like I have these, like if you look at the dreams, there's different levels and you have like an intense dream that's not lucid or a lucid dream kind of in that same upper category. I feel pretty drained too. Like, and, and I feel like a negative afterglow. It could be an emotional, emotional hangover type feeling. Drink water. Drink water. Well, when you wake up, drink some water. Really? You feel that better. Clear, really? It's, that clears you out? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Can't hurt. But suddenly a couple of those the things she mentioned almost relate to psychedelic experience. Like the The love, the cosmic love Yeah, feeling. and then the, before that with the like the vibrating hands, the wavy the waviness and the, yeah. there's a couple things there that yeah, it all seems to overlap, eh? The psychedelics, the OBEs, the lucid dreams, and and then, like she said, that's kind of more NDE-ish, and like the the uh, the grandmother experience and the overall love seemed to me like it was kind of NDE-ish, you know? How you see, like, except that she asked for it. I don't know. In NDEs, I don't. It doesn't seem like you ask for the stuff. Like, that's yeah, where but it seems I mean, like it's a lucid probably dream, all interconnected, right? It's all the same basket, you would think. Yeah, and I know what she means about controlling lucid dreams because I sometimes I don't even want to bother controlling them. I just like to be aware and go with it. Like sometimes I think that I'm having lucid dreams, but if I don't control it, I don't consider it a lucid dream. Does that make sense? No. Not really? Like as soon as you know you're dreaming, it's lucid. Yeah, but then what if what if I just let it go, like let the dream happen and not try and control it? You're still lucid. I know, but I don't feel like... When I'm awake, I don't feel like I have been because I wasn't trying to change anything. Judging yourself. Yeah, probably. I do that. You do. Well, I suppose we should uh, jump into Crow, eh? We're already almost 40 minutes in. Wow. We yeah, can, well, we, we wanted to mention a couple of things. Outro. Oh. No, maybe not. We should talk okay, about the Okay, yeah, we should do the website. Yeah, big thanks to Wayne Darnell, uh, Darnell Digital Inc., um, the new website has arrived. There's a few odds and ends to be tinkered with yet, but um, it's up now and it looks great, especially great on the mobile. Huge difference on the mobile. Yeah, really. Just smooth. Like the website feels so smooth now as well. It looks good, but it also feels good. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Wayne. I'm likes the feel of the website. Yeah. No, it scrolls well. It does works a lot it really works really really works well i tried it on the ipad and the iphone worked good on both so we always link to wayne's website in the in the show notes and uh, we also want to you know thank people for their donations too shit we wanted to have a list for everybody too we'll have to do that next week we want to thank everybody for contributing because we have no ads and no breaks and no nothing in here no sponsorship it's just really strictly from uh, the listeners and their donations so we want to thank everybody for doing that and yeah, please feel free to help out the show. Yeah, check out grimeamerica.ca slash support uh, for financial contributions. Of course, uh, the website's just proof that it doesn't always have to be financial. Wayne was, I mean, that's a huge one. We don't expect everyone to do us favors that big, but then we've had uh, Gitmo sending us in jingles and Neil from UK send us jingles and people send us jingles and send us music and sending feedback and Justin does the, show. the newsletter and Justin yeah. does in the newsletter iTunes reviews really help yeah and telling your friends yeah that's a big one was it March on the back. yeah tell, tell your, your friend month yeah tell a friend about the show huh uh, yeah but I think that about wraps it up 
Yeah, we want to say it was nice meeting Connor Habib. Oh, yeah. Fuck, we didn't get into that. Yeah, we drove down to Lethbridge and watched one of his lectures. Pretty interesting stuff. Stopped in Vulcan and sat in the Captain Kirk's chair. Yeah. <laughs> Little Vulcan museum. And got my Keep Con and Cling On <laughs> mug, <laughs> which I'm drinking out of right now. It's empty. Yeah, so Darren and I got to experience uh, what it felt like to be completely out of our comfort zone. Yeah, that was uh, an experience. Actually, I wasn't. I shouldn't say it. I wasn't completely out of my comfort zone. I was. It was a little bit unnerving, but it was. It was good. I was unprepared. Yeah, but it was good. It was yeah. a fun trip. Meet Connor. He's a nice guy. Yeah, it was sunny there too, and it was shitty here. So yeah, it was a good. Good trip. I've never been to Lethbridge before. It's actually a beautiful little. Well, we didn't really go into the town, but it's a nice town. Nice little valley. Yeah, nice bridge. It's Randall Carlson. Fucking Valley. He'd love to see that shit. Yeah. Yeah, enjoy the chat with Crow. Speaking of Randall Carlson, told us to look to the south side of the moon. So Crow tells talks about some interesting stuff originating from the south side of the moon. I wonder if that's what he's talking about. Yeah, maybe. Check out, uh, definitely check out the YouTube video. There's some crazy shit over there. Yeah, be prepared if you're open-minded enough to have your paradigm shattered. Or at least cracked, cracked open a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the interview with Crow seven seven seven. He's anonymous. Um, it's a good one, and we'll pick you up in the outro. Okay, guys, uh, in Grand America tonight, we have, we're going to be talking to the Crow777. Uh, he's a creator of a YouTube channel that has been blowing our minds around here lately. Graham has been, uh, Graham especially. So how's it going, buddy? <laughs> hey, I'm doing well. Good. D- D- Darren says uh, that I'm going down the rabbit hole already here, Crow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've got this YouTube channel called the Crow Discovery Project, and basically it's like all HD footage of, uh, you've got some stuff on uh, chemtrails and some orb action going on in there, and there's a, a lot of moon and lunar stuff. You've captured this um, moon wave, this lunar wave that we want to really get into. And uh, I don't know for all the listeners out there, you know, we've we've talked about some paradigm shattering stuff in Grime America before, but this one, like, hold on your seats, this type of stuff uh, that Crow's gonna tell us about, and it's coming from a place where he's got he's got some pretty damn good evidence himself here, and he's come to some. Pretty crazy conclusions, but this could this could be very very it's pretty pad- mind blowing, paradigm challenging for a lot of people. We were so. just watching the video like five minutes ago. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Every time you watch it, it's still pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, no no more further ado. Uh, welcome to Grime America, Crow. Um, thanks for having me. And just out of the gate, um, I'll make it very clear. My YouTube channel is Crow Triple Seven. There's two R's in the word Crow. 
um, but I call what I do the Crow Discovery Project, just so there's no confusion. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. So let's start with that, like the summary of that, maybe just so people, uh, you know, I've heard you on THC and all, but it sounds like you're going to be starting kind of your journey of uh, talking about this to a lot of different shows. So our listeners probably haven't heard much about you. I'd only heard uh, about you once before uh, the last month or so. So maybe just summarize your your channel and how you started uh, capturing all that stuff. Well, I can tell you, this is how Crow 777 channel started. Um, I had family over, and I was using the first scope that I had. It was an 8-inch scope, and we were just optically looking at the supermoon in 2012. I think it was May, if I remember correctly. I didn't have a way to film at that point, and my young nephew, who has young eyes, good eyes, said, Uncle Crow, there's a triangle going over the moon. (laughs) And so I jumped in, and sure as as anything, there it was. And the funny thing about this is, From our point of view, the moon moves across the sky. So over the course of about two or three hours, we just saw an endless line of these triangles. And just so people know what I'm talking about, there's a clip on my channel called The Boomerang. And just by chance, later on, after I was able to film, I caught one of those objects. And I know it's the same object because with an eyepiece, you've got more magnification, much better image than the HD video I can produce. At any rate, this was going on and on, and everyone in the family was watching and just going, wow, what are those things? We saw an endless parade of them, but they remained between us and the moon, which means they were moving from our point of view to stay in that position. And then it culminated near the end of the night where my brother-in-law saw like five to seven of these things in formation. So that's what started my channel because, of course, the next day I was out getting everything I needed to hook cameras up to the scope. Um, So that's basically the genesis story of my channel. Hmm. And then, and then recently, uh, or I guess in 2012, you had captured the, the first lunar wave, or would it somebody else captured that? No, the first known capture of the lunar wave um, I did, it was, I think, three days before a full moon, excuse me, <clears throat> full moon, and it was, let's see, it was the 26th, I think it was the 22nd, second was the equinox, so it was right after the fall equinox and just before a full moon. And to date, it is the best footage in existence that we're aware of. Um, Not only does it capture the whole event in HD, um, just the way that I shoot the moon so that you get the whole image, not close-up work, um, it's just a stunning piece of footage. And uh, when I first did that, I didn't have HD monitors or anything. I was looking at my little LCD on the back of a DSLR, and uh, I thought my camera had malfunctioned. So I watched it happen, and there was a crazy camera pan that was just by chance, and a very fortunate camera pan. Yeah, yeah. That camera pan became uh, the only way that I had to prove that it was a filmed event for quite a while. But after it happened, I reached over to delete that clip, and for the only time in my life, I didn't push that button. Don't know why, but I didn't delete it. Had I done that off the camera, it would have been gone. So (laughs) I think about three, four weeks something close to a month went by and I kept gnawing on me. Um, and finally one day I went back and looked at it and, uh, I deleted it off my computer and I was going to bed and I laid down and that's when I had the epiphany and I jumped out of bed, ran over the computer, booted up, restored the clip out of my trash. And it scared the hell out of me. Cause I realized all at once what the camera pan meant, which is kind of funny because I'm a digital guy. I've got a technical degree and I think that's what was gnawing on me that, 
digital instruments do not fail in an organic way like that. But, you know, to make a long story short, um, I realized all at once what I was seeing and that it was local to the moon and that it was a filmed event. Huh. And can you describe that to, to people? Because when I first heard you talk about it too, I was, I was having my head wrap, uh, having a hard time wrapping my head around it. Yeah. Well, basically what you see in the 2012 footage, which is the best footage. Sorry, I'm resetting my camera as we talk here. Um, you see the camera pan down below the moon and the wave starts at the bottom of the moon and it will travel from the bottom to the top. Um, I did not see that first little portion and I panned the camera up above the wave. And that's why the camera pan became so important because the wave traveled at a constant speed, caught back up to the camera and came back into frame, at which point I saw it. Now, the lunar wave always happens in pairs. Um, We do have one example from Germany now. And just to be clear to everyone, um, the 2012 footage is the best. And I didn't see it again until a year and a half later, just before the spring equinox of 2014. So at that point, I had five captures under my belt, but no one else apparently did. Now, fast forward to now, we have uh, nine... Hold on, let me make sure I get this right. Nine captures... I can't think of it right now. Four other people have captured... No, five other people have captured this, and uh, there's a number of clips, and each one has provided one. Some of them are close up. Um, none of them capture the whole event in the way the 2012 thing happened. But the, the unique thing about the lunar wave is it always seems to come in pairs. Um, so as time went on, I was beginning to realize what it was, and I started to refer to it as a hologram. But what's happened recently is um, someone sent me an anonymous email from a Russian chat room And when I translated it, I instantly saw the words lunar hologram, and there was a link to a Russian researcher named Hattie Bao, that's his nickname, who died in uh, 2011. And this man held secret positions and wrote books and did lots of work on his own. And he basically is of the opinion that all science and technology is a pipe dream. And what he provides is an alternative look Uh, at what he believes science should be. But the crazy thing is, in that page that I was linked to out of that chat room was uh, a complete description of what I had come to know about the lunar wave. Huh. So so you're thinking that maybe this wave is is caused by it being a hologram? Like, and it just happens, does it happen during certain times? Like when this hologram is moving through the sky, like you say, it's close to a full moon, right? So well, you think it's, I, it's, it's something like that? Well, what I had been... See, the points of research that lined up from Hattie Bow um, that perfectly lined up with what I had come to know is, number one, near a full, near a full moon. Now, Hattie Bow, with scientific precision, said, no, Crow, third phase of the moon, up to the year 2012. And the man's dead now, so we're not going to get anything more from him, unfortunately. The second thing was, I had been saying from the outset that the equinoxes play into this. In his research, he says not only do they play into it, but he goes whole hog into why equinoxes are important, particularly the vernal or spring equinox. On top of that, um, 
there, there's just a lot more information that we're still trying to get well translated because it's a very difficult to get technical Russian into English because the translator has to have a degree of technical ability and good English. So that's been a big problem. Point is, we drew parallels in a number of places. And what I had come to believe is that the moon that we look at is not a rock in orbit. His research backs that 100%, and it goes further. Uh, it says things that I'll probably never be able to vet. But what his research says is we're looking. The moon has two surfaces, the one we see and think is a moon, a rock in space. It's 184 kilometers thick on the side we see, but behind it, is a control system, and I think he may be saying something about a black cube, but um, it, it's hard to describe because the first time people hear it, they think, man, this, this guy's been smoking peyote. But the truth is, this has been researched for, you know, since 2012. It's never been debunked, and the Russian work is now being taken offline. You can't find Hattie Bow's books that he wrote. Um, we've got people who have downloaded all the library items we can get from this man, but it looks to me like the moon we see is holograms, not the right word for it. It's a technology that far surpasses anything that could be called a hologram. It's like a facade that is covering something behind it. And, uh, when people start to look at this, the first thing they're going to say is, well, wait a minute, a thousand years ago, people saw the moon and what controls the tides. Yeah, I was so, just going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, so to answer that is, I see a moon, they see, you know, they saw a moon. Um, the tides were for them, the tides are for us. Nothing has changed in this paradigm except for how it happens. What we have been told by NASA, and just to be honest, straight out of the gate, I accept nothing from NASA. Not one image, not anything. If I hear something from NASA... Um, they have lied so many times that it's invalidated to me. As a matter of fact, I'll look in the opposite direction. Having said that, instead of gravity and all these other things that we've been told that are doing all these things, there's literally a control system of some sort either associated with or covered up by the thing we see that we call the moon and think is a rock in orbit. So do you think it's possible that it could be like almost like some sort of an exoskeleton? <clears throat> You know, we're, I'm trying to get into that because he goes into this just insane research about octaves and how it was built and how there's some kind of a frequency or some kind of a connection between the sun and this system that we call the moon. Um, to be honest, I'm just not clear yet, but the sense I get is that it's kind of created with octaves in some way, but the thing that it's covering behind it is akin to a space station or you know, it's a built, constructed thing. Yeah. Kind of fits in with the, the UFO myths and stuff about it being, um, you know, fake or man-made or like a, or like a UFO that's just been, been there. And maybe it's just cloaked by this. Uh, yeah, well, I would even think like maybe even a little planet that's got fucking something living on it. And maybe it's like the inside of what we see is like a sky and it's fucking getting its wool pull over its eyes, too. <laughs> It's a double whammy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's uh, it's hard to to imagine this uh, this conspiracy going on for so many years. You know, like thousands of years. But uh, you've listed in your video, which is cool. You've listed all the all the doctors and the scientists that have that have had this hollow moon theory as well, right? So you, I like I appreciate your effort in putting 
a historical picture together too. It's not just you and your theory about this wave, but you've actually got lots of, uh, lots of, you know, past, uh, documentation and information of, of really like credible people who have said, look, this, this moon is hollow or it's just not even real. Before it was well, recorded, was there any reports of, of someone seeing it, but not filming it? Well, in terms of the lunar wave, there's, I mean, as far as I know, in the modern age, I'm the first guy to spot it. Now, I'm, I clearly did not discover this. The Russians knew about it, and I'm guessing the head of every state and all the secret societies on this planet are clearly aware of what's going on. But to put this into context for people, NASA has five theories on how the moon came to be where it is. Um, the crazy thing about that is you can prove that the first four of them don't hold water without even trying. And that is done by simply looking at the last theory they put forward in 2010. From 2010 to 2012, they, the geo-reactor theory, I think it's called, um, they put forward a new theory because they knew the previous four didn't hold water. Well, everyone knew it. <laughs> the first th- One of the theories was popular up to the 80s, and then all these theories kept coming to try to tell the people on planet Earth, how the moon got there. Oh, I see. And this is the latest one, yeah. Yeah, So 2010 theory comes out, which automatically invalidates all the other ones, or they wouldn't have needed it. But that one has just as many problems as everything that's come before. So you're looking at a space agency that supposedly walked on this thing. It's the closest moon we have. They know more about every other moon, seemingly, in the solar system than they know about this one, and they can't tell you how it got there. And they're clearly, you know, still trying as of 2010. But, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. What, what we see here, and it's going to get worse, you know, because as we go into the digital age, books are going to become a thing of the past. Google is scanning books night and day and have been for a lot of years now. And once everything's digital, to change content, meaning it's a very easy thing, but, you know, while you still have books, you can dig up that people like Plutarch, Aristotle, um, a guy named Censorinus, all talked about a time when this planet had no moon. They even talk about a race called the Arcadians. Um, the, I think it's the Caldolera Indians of Colombia have a history of their people, and they talk about their early existence as a tribe uh, in a time without a moon. Even the Mayans... The Mayans talk about when Venus ruled the sky and there was no moon. I mean, there's no shortage of these um, these histories. The thing is, is they're, they've been removed from textbooks or they never made it into the public eye. And so what we get is the accepted party line. But when you begin to look beyond the accepted party line, you understand pretty quickly that there are more strange things that you can find about our moon than there are just run-of-the-mill accepted everyday things what about go ahead Darren. I, I wonder i wonder do you give any credence to the idea that it could be maybe something from an or like because we've talked to a lot of people on this show about like some sort of ancient civilization like atlantean being like a not a place but a worldwide civilization civilization that existed before some sort of cataclysm and could this be like, a, I sometimes wonder if this couldn't be like some sort of lost remnant of theirs. Yeah, or leftover advancement that they actually made it off the planet back then before like all the catastrophes, yeah. So basically, even though what I'm saying here, most people who are introduced to, you know, if you're introduced to this tonight on your show, 
the average person's going to go, dude, come on, <laughs> really? The truth is, is if you can hold your mind open and come at this with an open mind and look into it, you will quickly begin to see that there is some strange things afoot here. Having said that, what you guys just brought up, the average person's never going to be able to vet that in any way. You know, it's like the Anunnaki. Who started that? How do you come at that? How do you ever um, make heads or tail of it besides what's been handed you? But I can say, according to Hattie Bow, the Russian research, and here's a guy who the people that are writing his bios now state flat out, we can't even mention a number of the places he works um, because they were so secret. And I will also add that what really intrigued me as I was trying to vet the value of Hattie Bow was that apparently before his death, his research was forced out of his hands to Israel with an oil company involved. Now, when that thing kind of thing goes on, uh, you're not looking at worthlessness. You know, that doesn't happen unless there's some intrinsic value in what's been going on. But what Hattie Bow claims, and again, I cannot vet this. I will probably never be able to vet this in my lifetime. But what his research from secret government jobs claims, the moon we see got here at around 18,000 B.C., um, which is interesting because I think a lot of people would date the Great Flood in that neighborhood, but maybe even the pyramids. Yeah. He, well, I can say something about the pyramid too. That's kind of a mind bender, um, from his research. So he's saying it was put there then. And he's saying it was put there by people who ain't us. Um, and what he says about those people is, (laughs) I I mean, I don't even know what to do with it. He They're described as looking like spiders. So, I mean, when you get information like that, what do you do with it? But my point is, everything else that has lined up with the research I have done tells me I can't prove what he's saying is right. I may never be able to, but just remember it. Keep it in your mind, and who knows what you'll know tomorrow. Um, but you brought up the pyramid. He does a lot with the, what he called the Cheops Pyramid, which to us is the Great Pyramid. In his research, he sh- he shows that there's an opening in the pyramid that was aimed perfectly at the North Star, but it's more than a degree off now. So in his research, he says that's why the Egyptologists tell you it's just a ceremonial thing. But what he did was took that measurement and then did a calculation of the tilt and orbit of the Earth and how all that would be without a moon, and he demonstrated that that opening would line up perfectly on the North Star. So what he claimed was that that is proof that that pyramid was built in a time without the moon. Wow. I'm just thinking. I've heard that Cheops before. Yeah. Have you you thought about the procession and this being the result of uh, the cause of what we think is going on with the, the one great year and the procession of all that? Have you... Well, it's funny when, you know, I mean, if you're going to talk about the great year and procession of all this, um, it's funny how you talk about the procession of the equinoxes. But there's a lot of problems now knowing what I know and in the research. And I don't think he bought into any procession at all. I mean, we're told that in so many years there's going to be a new North Star, and so many years ago there some other star was a North Star. Um, I think all that is looked at as poppycock by the Russian researchers. And I would further say um, there's some PhDs in the Ukraine. A lot of people that speak Russian in that part of the world are really stepping up to kick NASA's ass, frankly. There's one guy who's using the parallax method on all the NASA 
images from Apollo of the guys on the moon, and he has basically demonstrated that that was all done on a soundstage using the parallax method, which any scientist on this planet could go into the lab and replicate on any day of the week. And so this kind of brings us to a problem with where science currently is. Now, I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying I was brought up in an academic family. My father was a Ph.D., so I'm not here to badmouth science, but I am here to point out the problem with science. Knowing that no one has ever stepped on the moon and that it is a provable thing, even though people will say, oh, you're one of those guys, it comes down to one thing. Science has been taught that they cannot question these things. If you do, you'll lose your job or whatever the, the problem will be. The fact is, is that if science would stop, use the scientific method, and do what we see the guys in Ukraine doing, taking all the images and video, applying parallax science, um, they would demonstrate very quickly that some of those shots where they're supposed to be five kilometers and, you know, a mountain five kilometers behind them, it's only 2,000 feet. Um, it goes on and on and on. And uh, I actually have a link to that page in one of the recent videos I did because so many people come in and, you know, they say, well, where's the science? Where's the this? Where's the that? And they don't realize um, it's everywhere. The science that proves Apollo didn't happen is all over the place. It's just suppressed, and you got to work at it. It's like any research. But once you do it, you'll find out pretty quickly that NASA is built on lies. And in my view, their main mission in life is to ensure that we know next to nothing about what's more than, you know, a few miles over our head. So speaking of that, a few miles over our head, what do you think then about the astronauts like Edgar Mitchell and these guys who, you know, who go out into so-called space and they come back with uh, the overview effect and this type of thing where they actually feel like a shift in consciousness? I mean, do you think all that's bogus or do you think that they're actually out there at the fringes of space to what we know it and that's as far as they can go? Or how, how do you feel about that? Um, I have seen nothing that allows me to believe Anyone goes above low Earth orbit. Um, as a matter of fact, here's one for you. And what would what would be low Earth orbit? So, because I'm not sure how high that would well, be. Well, I mean, you, you hear 160 to 200 miles. You know, it's it's over 100 miles. Um, okay. But here here's something to think about. Um, I did a clip that took that image of the world from Apollo, whatever number it was, you know, that picture of Earth from space that yeah. was done. The pale blue dot? I don't know if it's the blue marble one, but it is the one that made it into most of the textbooks. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's been seen all over the world. And we were told that NASA took this image of the world from space. Now, I went and did a clip on it to show that that's a fraud. That's not a clicked snapshot from any camera. It's a composite a mosaic. It's a created image, just like all NASA imagery is. And as a matter of fact, if you look quite often, they will use the words that flat out say this is not a just snapped picture. It's created, but they don't do it in an obvious way. But recently, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, came out and said, well, we had it wrong. The earth is more pear-shaped. So, so do you see the game that's being played? So they, they gave us the supposed snapshot of Earth from the Apollo missions where we see a perfectly round globe. And now we got Neil deGrasse Tyson 
um, out here saying, oh, they, they had it wrong. Well, how can they have it wrong? That's a picture. You know, you took this picture from space. So you see the games that get played. Um, it's just all a lie. I don't know how else to say that, and I know a lot of people will have problems with it. But if you go look and research for yourself, you'll find very quickly that NASA has handed us next to nothing of value. So I, oof, that's like so fucking Orwellian. It's fucking scary. <laughs> it is. It, it's beyond Orwellian. It makes Orwellian look tame. Yeah, it's just. Uh, so what about Edgar Mitchell and these guys? Then do you think that that's just like it's hard to they imagine that pockets lined? They don't seem yeah, to lead. They don't seem illustrious to, lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's put this in context. Um, what do you think happened at Sandy Hook? Do you think a bunch of people died that day, or do you think that that was a staged event? <laughs> that's, that's, well, I mean, I, I, would, I would go a staged event from what I've heard, but I haven't looked so, too deep into it. But, you know, I mean, okay. I, I'll put it this way. That wouldn't surprise me. But, it definitely but the, wouldn't surprise me. But the NASA me. thing seems so, like, so wide, right? Like, you know, all the astronauts and the whole, you know, the whole thing about going to the moon. And, like, there's such see, a production, you know? See, you're kind of pointing out the problem with understanding the system that was built around you to prevent you from understanding. Yeah. If you look at something like Sandy Hook and you understand that the very people who are here to supposedly govern and protect you put a staged event up claiming children were murdered, um, then pushed it out to the media where the media played it off as a real horrible event where children were killed and all these bad things happened. Fact is, um, there is so much documented proof that that not only was not an event, that it was staged. I mean, even uh, the, the Internet records, one of the videos I saw recently, someone demonstrated that there was no Internet bandwidth um, to that place for the previous three years or something. Anyhow, anyone who wants to look at it with an open mind will quickly understand that it's not real. And the media pushed it as real. The Department of Homeland Security pushed it off as real. Your White House pushed it off as real. If you can understand that and assimilate that into your life, then how is it even remotely possible for you not to consider that astronauts are just lying to you? They're actors. Um, look at uh, uh, Neil Armstrong as an example. Here's a man who went to the moon, put first person to put his boot down on the moon, and then he refused to interview for his whole life. And one of the few interviews that you see of him, he's talking about truth's protective layers. Um, on top of that, there's other things that are blatantly obvious. Like recently, they started talking about the Van Allen belts, and they found this new band in the Van Allen belt that they attributed to being like a glass wall in space. Well, how <laughs> is it possible that you discover a new Van Allen belt when your boys have been through it, not once, not twice, but you see where I'm going here? And uh, the coding of it all, you know, the people who, who understand how numbers and dates work, when you go through this stuff, it, it's just, it is Orwellian. There's no other way to put it. It is all a lie, and anyone who seriously looks into it will know for a fact that there is no way to defend it. Um, it's just it's a belief thing. If you choose to believe it, then it's real. If you choose to look at it, you will discover very quickly that nothing you are told by your government, nothing you are told on TV has any validity because even the actual events are bent so far out of shape for agenda and purpose 
that it's it's not real anymore. Do you think the Russians are in on it then? Every space agency is. If you go look at any space agency patch on this planet, I don't care if you're looking at Iran or Russia or China, you will see the vector symbol in every one of them. Um, yeah, you know, look at Jade Rabbit right now. Yeah, There's I was no going to ask you about Rabbit. that. There's no Jade Rabbit on the moon. I did a clip on that as well. Every time we have been told there's going to be something going to the moon, landing on the moon, crashing into the moon, I have had my telescope looking, and I have seen nothing, not one thing. But that's kind of like ancillary to this whole thing. Um, The clip that I did on Jade Rabbit showed that the transcript of the Apollo mission echoed decades before the Jade Rabbit tale that they would tell in the modern era here. Um, not only that, when I went to get the transcript where Collins, I think it is, is talking about this Jade Rabbit and the, the lady who rests under a cinnamon tree, it comes from, from Chinese myth. Um, I was going to lift the transcript and put it into a video, and I read at the bottom that you can't use it or you'll be busted for copyright infringement. So I had to rewrite all this stuff. And I just thought, you know, really? So this country paid all this money to put men on the moon and you're not allowed to use the transcript, which is open to the public. Why is that? And the reason that is, is because there is nothing true about any mission NASA has ever done. Huh? Yeah. That's interesting when you put it like that. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of scary actually, you know, that, uh, that we've gone this far. I mean, do you think we're, we're uh, having to wake up really quick here, like we've got limited time to wake up in a sense before, like you, like you said, before digital technology starts really taking over, like once everything becomes digital, like you said, you can, you can basically uh, dictate the search terms and the search results and all that, and there won't be as many books around. Well, I, I mean, you nailed it. There it is. I mean, if, if you had a book that said Secret Society in it and someone pushed a button and said every reference to Secret Society is now going to be unknown persons, you know, you can see what happens. There's no context there. Um, when you read that, you get no sense of what the original meaning was. And that's kind of where we're headed in the digital world. You know, books are an important thing and uh, they're going away. Um, there's going to come a time in the future when most things are digital. Yeah, I don't... Uh... Oh man, that's crazy. What do you think? Well, I have always wondered because it's it's always seemed crazy to me that there's no like they're not like putting up pictures of the landing site because it seems like you've got the technology to take pictures. If you've got things orbiting it, you can be taking pictures of oh here's we landed sixty years later, here's the zoomed in satellite fucking picture of it. I can't see it on Google Earth. The flag not blowing in the wind. Or Google Moon or whatever the fuck, right? There's a story to that too, because people cried for a long time. Uh, why doesn't Hubble take an image? And for the longest time, NASA told him, oh, we can't. The moon's too bright. So for some bizarre reason, not too long ago, Hubble took a picture. But you don't see the objects. You see, like, shadows, and, of course, you're told the flags tipped over. I mean, anyone who hasn't figured out <laughs> the United States was demoted on 9-11, that that day that changed this planet for a false event, uh, we were demoted. We're not king anymore on this planet. And I don't know who's next, China, but whatever. Um, it took a picture. They made their little, you know, ritualistic, the flags on the ground. Um, I think you're supposed to go up there and burn it or something. I'm not sure, but they showed the shadows. Well, a smart man who understood the mathematics and the optics of the Hubble and all this did a quick calculation and demonstrated 
that the resolution the Hubble used to image Pluto would have easily imaged the objects themselves and that those were fake images. But to top it off, I was getting badgered about some of the objects I shot, so I got a complete genius at optics up at the scope shop who did a calculation that told me how wide a pixel was in feet at the lunar plane. And so we were doing calculations. With my old system, I could get uh, a mile and a half. With the newer system, I could get down to a mile, 0.24, but the camera limited me to a mile and a third. That's with my no-budget, nothing system. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about, say, a 33-foot scope that's on this planet. There's buggy tracks up there that go something like seven miles. So why aren't they imaging it? The most important thing man has ever done, going to another world in space, um, if, if it was there, it would be imaged endlessly. And the fact is, there are no buggy tracks. And the next argument you're going to hear is, well, what about the reflectors? They shoot lasers to do the ranging experiment. Well, I've been to one of those ranging experiments. You want to know what happens? They shoot a laser that you can see, and I think it's 2.5 seconds or something is supposed to be the return. But what happens is a computer goes beep and says, yep, it worked. You cannot see the return beam. You see nothing. So a computer's saying, yep, you did it. There is absolutely no way for a human being to verify that. I guess unless you're the person who writes the code and makes the, the dish that supposedly captures the beam. It's all a shell game. The whole entire thing is a shell game. Hmm. I want to I want to get into uh, if you don't mind get into the orbs and the chemtrails that you've uh, you've videotaped because uh, I'm you know obviously I'm interested in UFOs. We've talked about orbs on the show. We had a great show about uh, different colored orbs like the orange orbs, but these are kind of different and and uh, we haven't really addressed chemtrails. Chemtrails, to be honest with you, it's been one of those subjects that I've been on the fence about. When I hear uh, when I hear somebody debunk chemtrails, I, I, I seem to lean with them a little bit. And then when I hear somebody talk about the reality of chemtrails, I kind of go, oh, that makes sense too. Like it's a real tough topic for me because I, I kind of flip-flop back and forth on it. And I haven't really, you know, landed on either side. I mean, I try not to, you know, to, to be too dogmatic in any view. But what, what about uh, capturing some of those and then the orbs that you've ca captured in there? And like you're using like, again, high-def equipment. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and, and try and explain to Darren here, Darren, who's who's uh, who's probably on one side of the fence about chemtrails. Yeah, well, I mean, let's open this conversation by saying chemtrails are not in doubt. Um, they've been admitted, for Christ's sake. Um, during the, the Olympics that were in China, it was openly shown that China had a weather modification bureau that they were going to actually employ to do things during the Olympics. I think in 2009, it was reported in the newspaper that they had screwed the weather up so badly that there was a disastrous blizzard because of the Weather Modification Bureau. But there are an endless line of bills um, and patents and documents from the Air Force that say owning the weather by 2025 that are flat out admitting that they've been working on aerosol technology dumped by planes. When you take it a step further, Everybody knows they've been seeding clouds since Christ, the 50s or before, to make rain. It's no different. Um, it's dumping things out of planes to get a result. The problem with chemtrails is, is that it's a global thing, and nobody is admitting what it's for uh, or even who's doing it. 
But the fact is, those of us like me who have spent thousands of hours filming them, um, here's, here's a good example. I'm in Southern California, and I live right in the Lindbergh Field International Airport flight path. On one side of me is outbound traffic. On the other side of me is inbound traffic. When they have to circle to land, that goes right around me. I can see it all. In the 10 years I've been here, I have never once seen a plane, a commercial plane with passengers, leave any kind of a trail, contrail or otherwise. doesn't happen. I've seen thousands of them. I have never seen one leave a trail. Now, these other planes that go at all altitudes, and a lot of them are above 40,000 feet because you can see them on flight radar, they are going on these flight paths that are non-typical flight paths. Um, but to say that doesn't mean much. But what you can say about it is the planes that go on these trajectories are always leaving trails. Sometimes it's persistent, sometimes it's not. But you can literally sit in my backyard and I can watch them and I can tell you if the sky is going to close into a milky white mess in a couple hours um, or I can usually predict if it's not. There's different ways that they spray. But what I can tell you is it's the, the strangeness doesn't end there because they're are often these weird objects that you mentioned that we call orbs, and they seem to be drawn to these chemtrails. I don't know if they're part of it or some other thing. I have no idea what they are, but I have never filmed an orb when chemtrails were not being laid. And uh, I'm sure you've seen my footage where I filmed a chemtrail uh, being that was laid, had been sitting there for a couple hours, and an orb comes down into it and shoots something twice into the chemtrail, um, just crazy. And that day, I think we saw 10 or 15 of them all in the chemtrail, around the chemtrail, and then they just went straight up until we couldn't see them anymore. Hmm. So I, I think the main thing is it's not really... To say chemtrails don't exist is simply not to be informed. It's simply not to go look at the source documents from military government that flat out say, we've been doing these patents um, in, the, in the Air Force's case, and they flat out claimed that they wanted to control the weather using that kind of technology by 2025. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's so much you can say about it, but I think the main thing is they're absolutely real, and I have spent thousands of hours filming it and proving it. Do you think, what do you think they're up to? All I can do is speculate. I assume weather modification is part of it, but... Um, the people who run this planet, when they do something, it tends to have a lot of uses. Um, I'm not yeah, it's sure. It's a single point, not single point uh, use kind of, right? It's going to fulfill many different uh, agendas, probably. Certainly, certainly. Uh, I, I think the biggest problem Chemtrails has is all the wild speculation. So, you know, it seems like weather modification is certainly part of it. Um, everybody knows that there's three common heavy metals. Uh, what is it? boron or barium and aluminum, and I can't think of the other one right now, but this is from lab reports all over the world. Um, I can't speculate what else they may be doing besides weather modification, but I can tell you beyond the shadow of doubt that there are planes flying all over this planet every day spraying stuff at different altitudes into the atmosphere. So for people that aren't up to speed with... with uh condensation and, and the chemtrails and the difference between the contrails and the chemtrails. Like a plane flying through the sky will show 
uh, some sort of contrail and it just dissipates very quickly. Right. And what you're talking about is this. And, and so what you're talking about is different than the persistent contrails, right? Is there, well, is there a difference I, I, between chemtrail and persistent contrail? I think contrail is a red herring. I have never seen a plane in, in a flight path, a passenger plane leave any kind of a trail. So if there's contrails, why don't these planes occasionally make contrails? The other thing is, is the humidity is often, you know, I live in a desert here, basically, um, the humidity be 10, 15%. And you'll see these trails that are persistent up there. The thing that I think I would mention is a lot of people have been pushing this documentation that the modern high bypass jet engine is really almost incapable of making any contrail that would matter enough for you to see it. Now I'm not an engineer, so I can't tell you either way whether that's absolutely correct but I can tell you from thousands of hours of filming, I don't believe I've ever seen in a modern plane a contrail of any kind. And that also muddies the water because chemtrails for a long time were mostly persistent. Where they sprayed, they'd be around for hours, they'd spread out, the sky would be milky. Often you'd see a checkerboard pattern in the sky or other things from so many of them being laid. But within the last few years, you see all kinds of different ways they're doing it. The high-altitude planes will often leave a trail that's a couple miles long, but it'll go away pretty quickly. Um, but I can tell you, these are not contrails. They are absolutely spraying. I've, I've had a telescope on them, and you can just see. Um, to say it's a contrail is basically what you're saying is ice crystals are lasting for hours and then covering the whole sky over in milky white. It's, it's a red herring. It's yeah. not true. Yeah, I was on my patio in Vancouver once, and I heard, uh, I saw this plane going over, and it had, you know, like, I didn't really know whether it was contrail or chemtrails, but it was flying over and leaving this, this, let's call it a chemtrail, because it stuck around for a hell of a long time, and it slowly started falling towards the, uh, towards the, you know, my level. And, and it basically seemed like it came almost right down. Like I felt like it, it almost came right down, like from where the plane was up there. And it just took really slow, really long time coming all the way down to, you could almost feel like you could throw a ball at it. And the I was thinking chem, like the that, actual chemtrail itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking back then, cause I had heard about chemtrails and I thought like, what the hell's going on here? Is this, like this, I saw the plane go by and it came and it just sort of came down after it took maybe like 10, 20 minutes or something, but it actually felt like it came down pretty low. Well, I've, I've never heard that. I have heard of people who have been hiking on mountains and had a chemtrail blow literally at their level where they were standing and had some crazy things to say. But, oh. you know, what, what's been going on recently, um, I have a lot of friends all over who watch the sky and... uh on the East Coast, a lot of people are telling me they have not seen a sunset in over a year now because chemtrails block the ability to see. And I always thought that was very interesting because I didn't really notice that here. But yesterday, I was driving down a freeway as the sun was setting, and it's due west. The freeway points due west. And there was this massive, swirly, nasty white ball of chem cloud right where the sun was setting. And I just thought, wow, that's what they're talking about, huh? But the funny thing is, is there's places where they talk about that in Texas. A lot of people were telling me that happens at sunrise, that they never see a sunrise. So, you know, 
it, it's hard to tell people about chemtrails who are not willing to go out and look into it. But, you know, just going to do a Google image search in a way that's a bit like a meme. When you put in a, a search term into image search, you get returns from all over the planet. If you put in the word chemtrails and do an image search, and what you see there doesn't make you at least consider that you should look further into it, then there's really no conversation we can have. Because what you will see is, you know, skies blotted out, checkerboard patterns, just all kinds of crazy imagery. So, you know, if someone's really interested and not sure, start there. Do a Google image search. And if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Yeah, we're so polarized, though. Like, the skeptics, it's so it's so infuriating when all they do is just discount right away. Like, no, there's no such thing, and it's, uh, you know, condensation from the engines, and that's it. Like, there, there's no, there's no, you know, effort at all to open their minds and just look a little bit deeper into it. It, it reminds me of the UFO thing, too, because it's the same thing. Like, even guys like Joe Rogan and stuff that can be pretty open-minded about some things, just think anybody who sees UFO is a fucking crack or a kook, and it's like, what? There's all kinds of credible evidence out there well go go to my channel and look at the shooting orb clip if i'd shot that like 15 20 years ago it'd probably be the most famous ufo footage on the planet and that kind of tells you something um how is it that i'm filming this trail that's been sitting there for hours it's just this dense white trail in a perfectly blue sky we saw the plane that dropped it and all these orbs are sh showing up and then one goes down into the chemtrail and shoots literally like a plasma ball or something into the chemtrail. I shot that in HD. It's there. Um, if you see something like that, uh, I, you know, the average person should at least go, wow, what the heck is that? And look into it a little bit. Um, if, if you can watch that and not think there's something to chemtrails, I, I think there's no conversation that you can really have. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, or we just watched that video a couple seconds ago here. So I like also how you, you don't start, you know, saying, oh, it's all ET craft and all this. You, you're kind of open-minded about what is uh, powering these orbs and whatever, these UFOs that you're, you're videotaping as well. Um, what do you what do you speculate? If you were to speculate then, like if you don't jump to the ET conclusion, which is cool, and it might be uh, man-made or the secret space program type stuff. I mean, who knows what they have out there coming out of Dar DARPA labs or even labs that are more, you know, more top secret than that. So what do, what do you think then? Is it, is your feeling or speculation that it's, that it could be uh, man-made and top secret then? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you've seen the number of UFOs I've filmed, everything from these black haloed objects going across the face of the moon, not at the moon, but in between me and the moon, um, boomerangs, just all kinds of things. And then the orbs in chemtrails, I, I think most of it is terrestrial technology. That's my opinion. Yeah. And I would point out that the average person will usually tell you that, you know, military or whoever has all the tech is 50 to 100 years ahead of us. When you consider, like, I don't know, have you ever seen, like, the, the crazy hologram footage out of China where they're, like, making whole cities on a lake and stuff? Um, and that's what they're showing the public. If you imagine that 100 years advanced, if, in fact, the military is that far ahead of us, it's not hard for me to imagine that everything I've filmed is terrestrial. What are they, what are they doing? They're filming, uh, they're showing a hologram of a city on top of a lake? Yeah, they create a whole city that looks just real. Um, you can look it up online. I think it's still around. Just uh, put, I don't, I don't know, maybe Chinese hologram city or something like that. You should be able to find it. I'm yeah, sure Darren, Darren's around. looking it up right now. Yeah, So, not, and then you're thinking, what if they're, 
you know, we're 50 years advanced to that. What could they do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything we see is clearly for public consumption. You know, the real good stuff is not shown to the public. So, um, you know, even thinking about combustion engines, engines, you've got to imagine that the best technology people are making on this planet now is far beyond any kind of a combustion engine. Yeah, I mean, we've, that's, that's something we wanted to get into here, too, is all the free energy and the free energy suppression. Actually, we've got a guy coming on. Uh, his name is uh, Atomic Rod. He, he uh, talks about basically the, you know, the nuclear. He's kind of more about the, how nuclear technology is uh, a little bit safer and how... Atomic Rod Adams. Yeah, how it's, you know, it's kind of been suppressed by the oil and gas industry, I guess, and how it's, uh, you know, we can power power homes and everything else from little, you know, what would you call it, Darren? Like a little backyard, backyard nuke? nuke? Good for a block. So, yeah, I wouldn't doubt if uh, all kinds of stuff is getting suppressed like that. You know, we talk about T-Towns and Brown and Tesla, and there was a guy in Vancouver there we tried to get him on, too. What was his name there? The, the effect, uh, Hutchinson effect, and how you can melt metal and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. Oh, I've, I've heard of that guy. Um, you know, there's some interesting stuff being done with mag- magnetism as well. I mean, have you guys seen the footage on YouTube of, like, uh, people putting magnets down copper tubes? I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen one where the magnet's flying around a ring, like uh, kind of levitating around a ring. But I don't know if I've seen the... What, what happens in the copper tube one? It's kind of a crazy thing to watch because it just kind of shows you... Um, you know, an average person can go get a piece of copper pipe and a certain kind of magnet, um, and they drop it down this tube, and it doesn't free fall. Um, it looks like it's almost floating weightless, slowly going through the tube, and uh, it doesn't touch the sides or anything. There's a lot of videos on it. You can look that one up, too. But, you know, you start to imagine in a, you know, the highest tech lab we have on this planet somewhere what they're even doing with just magnetism. Yeah, the maglev stuff, and you hear about these stories about the maglev trains going uh, from coast to coast, underground, <laughs> and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Hey, you never know. Lead Skillman said that. Uh, At least Skillman. That's what gravity was. It wasn't even. There was no gravity. It was all magnetism. Yeah, yeah that's I think, interesting. I think Hattie Bow would agree that it's the the math we've been given for gravity, and uh, basically all the foundational sciences. Is uh, is a very limiting thing that it's not the good stuff. I think is the way he goes at it. That there's a other, whole other world out there that the textbooks know nothing about. So what's your next step then after all this? I mean, you've could just come out with this recently. Like, uh, I did want to ask you kind of a more personal question. Um, 
it sounds like this was uh, the straw that broke, broke the camel's back or, or when you decided to come out a little bit, so to say, and with some of your theories because of this, you know, this lunar lunar wave and some of the other stuff you're you're finding. So was this kind of like something you've been interested in and this was finally like it, t- it tipped the bucket over. It's like, okay, now I'm going to kind of fully disclose my views or how does, how well, do you... if you consider, you know, where human beings were in like 2009 and uh, where you see human beings now, there's like a big kind of awakening going on. And so many people are becoming aware of just the complete deception of the people who run governments, planets, you know, the people in charge, they're like wild jackals. And they're coming to understand that not only are they not governing and have no interest in governing or helping us in any ways, they're doing terrible things like crashing entire, you know, governments or economies. I mean, you know, just taking down people's retirements and, you know, that's just the the tip of the iceberg. And the reason I shifted the pitch uh, on what I'm doing is because I think we're at a time where we're standing in boiling water and people really need to become aware of the reality of things, not just accept what you're told, not just use TV as your information source, but really understand that as an individual, there's a lot you can do to try to change things and maybe better things. And the biggest enemy of change is complacency and ignorance and the average person on the street, if you talk to them, they'll say, oh, yeah, we went to the moon. That's scientifically demonstrable that you were lied to wholesale. And when you consider what that means, it means the government that governs your nation did that to you. And at the same time they were doing that to you, they took Lord knows how much money out of the hands of all these people trying to live, have children, and retire. So when you begin to understand the real lay of the land, that actually chemtrails are going on, that we don't know for sure what's going on, why they're doing it, but it's happening in almost every major city that has an internet connection because they're reporting it. Um, It's time for people to quit buying what they're told, go out, use their God-given ability to think, and understand that things are not the way you're being told they are. And we're at a point in human evolution where there's a big shift in consciousness. People are becoming so much more aware than they were in the 50s or the 60s. And I just think the time is now to really put your neck out on the chopping block. I mean, a lot of the things I say have brought a lot of adverse, you know, people my way. But the point is I'm doing it for a reason. I'm hoping that people will consider these things, look into them, and hopefully help make a difference so that you know, maybe we can change this place for the better. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that attitude, you know, letting people, and, and I like the way you're like, look, I'm just putting it out there. Um, you'll admit when you're wrong and you can let people figure it out for themselves. But look, like, look at this a little deeper, people. Um, you know, things aren't what they seem. No, they're not. And, you know, there's a good chance that in the way I've described the things I've come to know that I've made errors. But I'm not really concerned about that. If that happens, I'll own it. I'll publicly say, yep, sorry, I made that mistake. And the reason that doesn't matter to me is because the overall picture that is (laughs) so solid that I'm not worried that I'm wrong about it is that things are not the way people are being told they are. 
and that is, you know, from your news, for just, just the whole ball of wax. And the real problem is, is if you talk about Sandy Hook or 9-11 as an example, they'll, they'll say, uh-oh, tinfoil hat yourself, here comes a Sandy kook or whatever. And it's, it's so frustrating because it is so well documented that anyone who truly looks at it with an open mind will understand very quickly that we're being lied to wholesale, and this is nothing new. It's been going on for ever. It's how government works, basically, and has always worked. Has there, well, the, so can things come in? Do you, do you can things come in past this the belt, like like comets or impacts oh, and things ask, like that? Yeah. The Van Allen belts? Yeah. Well, I don't like, believe that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, we see meteors falling and shit like that, and and uh, like that one in uh, Russia there last year, Chelyabinsk or whatever is that what it's called? Yeah, and, and a couple crater sites on Earth that yeah. are said to be crater sites. They look like craters. Yeah, I've been to the big one um, in Arizona there. Um, I don't buy any of the NASA data, and I did a clip on, on the Van Allen belts. I don't believe there are Van Allen belts. I believe everything we've been told about space is not true. I think NASA's main mission is to ensure that you know next to nothing about what space and our solar system really is. Having said that, try, when you get done with this interview, to find one image of the Earth from space that you can prove was a snapshot taken from space. Just try to do that, and you will quickly find that you can't. You can't do it. And it doesn't end there. You know, think of the rovers on Mars. You know, all these people are so impressed with that. You're looking at the Nevada desert or something there, guys. There is no rover on Mars. Um, I did a clip recently on the whole Rosetta thing. Um, if you want to see how blatant the ruling class of this planet is, listen to this. So sometime way back, I think it was the 60s. I might have that wrong, but way back, someone discovers the comet that they're going to land on here in the modern age. Um, guess what day it was discovered on? 33. <laughs> that, that was actually a good guess, but it was September 11. Okay. So the comet was discovered on September 11. They go through time. They get ready in the modern age to go do the whole Rosetta Philae mission. And they have not seen this comet close. They don't know what the shape of it is. They will not know what the shape of it is until they get their spacecraft close enough. So just recently, meanwhile, they start naming things. They name it Philae after an island in Egypt where the Isis temple is, where Trajan has some things. But the Isis temple is probably the most important for anyone who follows what the ruling class does on this planet. So at any rate, as I got ready to do the clip, I look at my wife and I say, what do you think the odds are that the shape of this comet will be the same shape as the island they named it after? And she smiled. Go watch my clip. Hmm. Sure enough, one of the views that they give you of that comet that they landed on is the exact same shape as the Philae Island they named it after that they couldn't have possibly seen until the craft got there. Now, when you begin to further dissect this, you will find out that they spent $100 million on a four-megapixel camera. And they told the public, well, that was 10 years ago. That was a damn good camera. When the fact was that Eastman Kodak had like 10 megapixels back in the 90s. 
And that's not even the point. If you spend $100 million, you could have had 100 million megapixels if you felt like it. You're designing a new camera. There was no limiting factor there. But if you keep digging into it, what you find is that you're told this object a gazillion miles away, traveling a gazillion miles an hour, is going to be landed on this thing, and they can't even communicate with it until 25 minutes or so goes by. In other words, if something goes wrong, the next command takes 25 minutes to get there. And then, of course, it tries to land and bumps off it three times. So there's your guess. At least part of your guess was right. (laughs) Bumps off it three times. Um, It's all charades. It's all encoded kind of new world order Illuminati. And I don't use those words because I don't know if they mean anything, but just to say them so people understand, it's all shenanigans. Um, and it's scary. It's so far beyond Orwellian. Um, I don't know what to say about it, but when you're done with this interview, find a real image of earth from space and Mm. you will find very quickly that you can. I don't know if I can tell the difference. Well, that's what they're counting on, but you know, you've got, you've got a, a human ability. So I mean, if you put effort at it, I think you can. So, so you mean telling the difference between like it being from a satellite compared to out of Earth's orbit? Is that what you mean, Darren? So when I take a picture, like you've seen the quality of my images, right? Yeah. yeah. Do I have a budget? <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah. Have, I have no budget and I barely am able to pay my rent most of the time because of what I'm trying to do here to show people the reality of the world we live in. Um, I often ask people who come in to debunk me, at what point do NASA's images of the moon have to be better than mine? Yeah. (laughs) You know? So if I was that guy who was going to go out and get the nice shot of Earth from space, and you know me, Crow, do you think my image would be pretty sweet? (laughs) Yeah. You've You've seen what I shoot. So if I had that sweet budget in the sky of a hundred gazillion dollars in any camera I wanted, um, do you think I'd have just that sweet snapshot of Earth from space with without the word mosaic or computer generated or from telemetry data or, you know, all the little words they use to hide the fact that there is no snapshot of Earth from space? What about like can you what about the outer planets? Because you must be able to see them with your telescope. I've never been able to see one, but yeah, I can. I'm not very um, good. I, I just don't think you, that we're looking at what we've been told we're looking at. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. As far as the other planets, I don't really address it because I'm so focused on what I have learned about the moon. You know, I have a lot of people that want to come and say, oh, you got to get on the flat earth bandwagon or the concave earth bandwagon. And I politely say, um, I'm watching what others do. If that's true, go out and prove it, and I'll watch what you do. I'm not going to badmouth you. I have an open mind, but I'm focused on what I'm doing. And the truth is, is if you truly want to crack something, you really only have time for that one thing. You know, you've got to really devote some time, effort, and energy. I mean, I doubt there's many people in the country who have put in the amount of hours on the moon I have since, you know, 2012. It's thousands of hours. And uh, when you begin to do something in that way, you learn a lot. And it's not from secondhand, you know, it's firsthand. So for the planets, I don't know what to say about that, but I am beginning to be under the assumption that everything we see is not really quite the way we have been told it is. When you get back to the... Earth, it could be digital. What do you mean by that? Digital Digital universe. 
Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Like somebody just made a program for the moon on their little little cosmic game machine, Darren. Is that what you're talking about? Well, like Jim Elvidge, who told, remember he has his evidence points to that. We don't yeah. even really live in a like it's more of us. We're in some sort of a simulation or some sort of digital thing running on some fucking server someplace. Yeah, wonder if that could well, account for you, any of it. You want to know something? A description like that knowing what I know now, what I have come to know from firsthand research, that's, a, that's an idea that you should look at seriously. Um, look how popular the movie The Matrix was. You know, for people who understand what movies are actually for, that they, the people who have woken enough, enough to understand that the primary function of movies is not entertainment. Every movie you see in the modern age has subtext and encoded information through and through. Uh, look at The Truman Show. There's a prime example. You know, so many people are going to look at the Truman Show and say, wow, that's really trippy if that could ever happen. Um, you want to know something? I've been looking at the moon for thousands of hours over many years now, and that movie really begins to parallel and encodes the information that I am discovering in a way that's uncanny, where you've got to say, wait a minute, did that director know what I know? How can that be? But the point is, when you look at movies like The Matrix that came out when they did, they're giving you information beyond the fact that they're entertaining you. And people need to understand um, that we live in an encoded world. And when I hear digital simulation, you know, that's a good way to think about things because a digital simulation is an encoded world. So if that was possible, then I wonder if it's possible. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think it's absolutely possible and maybe even probable that there's some sort of puppet masters pulling the strings but i wonder if it could be like the idea that you know the inside of a tree wouldn't exist then until you cut into it could somehow play into that you know maybe they did go to the moon or they thought they did but that was just you know part of the fucking programming that now you know like there's some sort of lapse that unless you pass that barrier then you don't need to see what's beyond it so the oh, program yeah. doesn't need to waste any memory on it yeah, that's funny you should say that. There was a, what's that new cartoon that came out with the scientist, the Rick and somebody, um, it's on late night kids cartoon channel. Um, they did one like that where, you know, these aliens had trapped them in a simulation. So it's funny you should say that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you do wonder about the astronauts. Was, was there technology that made those men believe they did go to the moon or something? Um, I tend to think that's probably not the case, but let's face it. You know, technology is a crazy, crazy thing, and it is way ahead of what we see in the civilian world. So getting back to that a bit more, is your feeling that, that a lot of this stuff is comp, uh, compartmentalized to the point where people don't know that they're a part of the conspiracy? Like all the people that are, you know, propagating this, this myth, uh, it's, you know, a few people kind of pulling the strings at the top, but the people that are, that are disseminating the information don't know that it's false? Of course. I mean, look at all the men and women who work for NASA. You know, those, those people aren't trying to lie to you. They're just doing their jobs. Um, they've been told what NASA is, and they're proud of their job, and they're doing the best they can to support their families. Um, you know, those people aren't, in my opinion, harboring ill will. They're just like me or you, raising a family, paying the rent. But the people at the top of the game, and they're very few. I mean, you got to be the right bloodline, the right family have gone to Skull and Bones or Hogwarts or wherever the heck those people are educated. Um, a lot of them are royalty from royal families that have always been in charge in one way or another. Um, those are the people that you know. You know, it's kind of like 
the Masons. Um, you see so much hatred aimed at the Masons on the Internet. And in my mind, I think that's a bit misplaced because I think the average Mason is like a Shriner or anyone else. Um, he's got a family. He's doing the best he can. He's just a low-level guy. He doesn't understand that the guys at the top of that game have a lot of information and they're doing bad things with it. So, yeah, there's definitely levels of insulation like that. Um, and it makes the game much harder because, like I say, if you go, if you say the things I've just said about NASA and then you turn around and say every person that works there sucks, you're doing a lot of people a real injustice. You know, that's, yeah. that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree with that, too. If, if that's happening, it's got to be in that way. It's just I think that's what makes it hard for people to wrap their head around, right? You know, you hear this this argument back and forth over whether the government can keep secrets or not. And then some people say, fuck, yeah, they can. They kept the secret of, uh, you know, the Manhattan Project or whatever for so many years, or they kept the secret of this and that. And then there's people on the other side that are saying, oh, no, they can't see, keep a secret of everything because look at what's leaking out here and there. But I mean, I I believe that they can keep a secret if they want, right? And that and it's just. But I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around these large agencies and institutions uh, that they're actually like lying to us. I mean, lying to us is probably not even the right word. It's like deceiving or something. It's like it's like a like you like you're saying, Crow. It's kind of like a high level deception, really. Yeah, I mean the the people at the top who pull the strings. I mean, look at the the Wall Street crash. Is there anyone who can look at that objectively and honestly think that man, it's such an unpredictable thing? How could this have happened again? You know, really, there's people who run that system. They want to crash a country, they do it. They want to make a gazillion dollars, they do it. There's insiders in every game. The problem is, is these insiders tend to be the same. Same people. When I was a kid, there was something like 50 newspapers in this country. Well, there's a hell of a lot fewer of them, and they're owned by a handful of corporations now. That's not really news anymore, is it? You know, you have a very small group of people owning all the media, and that media has such a major impact on what a country believes. I mean, even movies. Why, why is it that I live in America and I wear blue jeans. You know, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Um, culture is kind of built from movies and music and media. So when you get a small group of people controlling all this information, it's not that hard to sway large groups of people, entire countries, entire continents for that matter. And that's what we see. And you know, how, how, many, how many corporations at this point do own all the media that we see? Last I heard, it was four or five. Yeah, or I think or six. Not, yeah, I think I've yeah, heard six. I'm not really following it, but, yeah. you know, would you be surprised to learn that those are all subsidiaries of maybe one corporation or something? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting what's going on in the media right now. I think that's one of the reasons why I think podcasting is going to keep getting, you know, more popular is because we can have these free-flowing conversations without any influence at all and, and uh, until that's illegal <laughs> or we're not allowed to do that anymore. So we'll see how many shows we can do after our show crow, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see about that. But I like the, the movie part too, is because we've heard not only is there political propaganda in movies, but I get the feeling that as soon as people are close to a mystery, whether it's like the matrix or UFOs or whatever, that all they need to do to discredit that, like I'm surprised they haven't come out with a chemtrail movie yet. Cause as soon as they can come out with a Hollywoodized movie, they basically discredits the whole phenomenon. Yeah, sure. And, you know, the, the other problem with what you're pointing out is search engine jamming. Like, 
when I realized that the wave was associated with equinoxes, I started to go online to do more research about it. And I kept getting this damn band called Equinox. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was weird because um, there were other searches, too, that I was doing. And I would get bands and, uh, you know, acting troops and books and video games named for this thing I was trying to search. So I would go in and make it a selective search and say nothing with games, nothing with music, you know, and I keep doing it. And it didn't take me long because I have a degree in Internet technology that what they're doing is what I call search engine jamming. So exactly what you just said is not just going on, but in terms of how we get our information, which is from digital searches, it is so easy to uh, make it so that the the majority of search returns will just not be on the topic you're trying to find. And it's as simple as naming a band Equinox. Or here's an easier way. Go ahead and get a popular new video game and name that Equinox. You'll never find another good search again. That's like, uh, remember when Adam Curry the was Fast talking about the, the Fast and the yeah, Furious? Yeah, now they've got like number seven out eh? How? Yeah, well, remember he said that they killed Paul Walker because they were trying to cover up the Fast and the Furious gun running operation. Yeah. So he they dropped that. like uh, Adam Curry from the No Agenda show. He uh-huh. said uh, he said that they killed Adam. They killed that Fast and the Furious star because then he's like, now whenever I type anything Fast and Furious into Google, all I get is this fucking guy. Because it was right when that was peaking. Right out, when right? it was peaking, that Eric Holder was involved in uh, gun running. Yeah, well, <laughs> Paul Walker didn't get murdered, and I don't believe he died. It was another one of the ritual suits, you know, death. You know, the ritual celebrity deaths we see all the time. The dates are coded, their age is coded, everything's coded. Um, the numerology and gematria game. Um, if people are famous in this day and age, they're playing a game, and I don't know whether they're co-opted in or tricked in or their family gets them in, but fame in this current time we live in is no place to search for truth. I can tell you that. <laughs> and in terms of Paul Walker or anyone else who makes the headlines in that way on national and international news for a week, just go look at his age, look at the date of his birth, look at the date of the death. Um, it's all coded. So do you These think he's, Richard- do you think he's being forced out at that point then? Like if, if his disappearance, let's say, just call it a disappearance then that you can cover a lot of ground with that word. Um, is it, is it, is it a repercussion of his unwillingness to continue the towing the line or is it, or is it a, a reward? I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a famous person. And to me, that part of it doesn't matter because getting stuck looking down that particular avenue that you're bringing up is taking a microscope out. And you never want to get stuck on a micro view. You want the macro view. What I can tell you is these are staged events. Look at Robin Williams. You know, there's, there's channels out there that don't get a lot of respect, like the Jungle Surfer is one. People should go look at him and try to hold an open mind. And I know a lot of what's said is going to be hard for the average person to hear and assimilate, but I guarantee you, if you go to a channel like that and listen, just listen with an open mind, you'll get taught something that you may not have even thought was possible, because this is exactly what we're talking about. The scale, the Orwellian scale of deception um, within media, music, fame, uh, just the whole ball of wax is, it's, it's off the charts. It, he, you know, he was born on September 12th. Really? Yeah. Wow. 73. September 12th. 
which means somewhere on the planet it was September 11th. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. He was like three hours late. <laughs> so, uh, have you had a lot of blowback from from the media or even like from the UFO crowd, for example, since you've been doing it? Because I think I first heard about you maybe from Open Minds or when Lee Spiegel came out with that article, and I think he let you actually. Um, uh, respond to, to his response or something like that. But are you getting positive or negative feedback from that community? You know, I built my channel trying to be a very polite individual, not allowing people to come in and use bad language, not yeah. allowing people to just get out of hand rude with each other. <laughs> and that all changed about three weeks ago oh. when I, when I finally came out and decided to say what I had come to know about the moon um, that it's not what you think it is. And since then, I mean, even this interview, the whole tone of this interview is much different than a typical interview I would do for the simple fact that we don't have a lot of time, guys. If, if the population continues to slumber along, um, we're going to be a bunch of worker bees, and every right we ever had is going to be gone. And if people can't understand that, simply look at the amount of freedom you lost because 9-11 scared you. The amount of freedoms that evaporated on the tail of 9-11 is astonishing. It's beyond astonishing. We're all raised in America here telling us we got freedom of speech, we got all these rights, we're Americans. We... That's all gone now. The Bill yeah, of Rights and it's getting worse too. have just been removed. And it was all on the pretext that terrorists were going to come kill us, and look what happened in New York. And even if you choose to believe that that event went down the way you were told it is, how is it okay that because supposedly some crazy guys knocked over some buildings and killed some people, that the foundational concepts that built this country were just removed? It makes no sense. And if you can't put two and two together and understand that, it was purposely done, and it's continually done. Sandy Hook was no different. Most people think it was aimed at guns. But a lot of this has to do with simply keeping everyone afraid. If you turn on the news on any given day, and you take a pad and paper, and put positive on one side, negative on the other, and put check marks for each little piece of news that comes at you, you'll get an eye-opening, because it's not just that day. And on some days, there are no check marks for the positive side, unless you want to count the weather. But then there's chemtrails. That's a pun. <laughs> That's yeah. a pun. But anyhow, the point I'm making is that fear is a huge part of the kind of conscious control over a population. And um, it's the same thing with these ritualistic deaths that we see out of Hollywood all the time. Um, and the funny thing is, is, a lot of this stuff is echoed in popular culture. I just made a video where I used a Red Hot Chili Peppers line. Um, I think it was one of my Moon Illusion clips where it says something to the effect of, space may be the final frontier, but it was made in a Hollywood basement. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, by it's, not, it, it's not like they're not telling you. And it's almost like they're doing it so they can say, we told those stupid monkeys that they were too dumb to understand. You know, it's it's almost like that. It's almost like the the free karma card in a way, right? Exactly like that. <laughs> if you, you know, we were we were looking at, I don't know, it was Talmudic law or something like that. Someone had pointed something out about it, and they were astonished what they'd found. 
And we were reading this thing that said something to the effect, and it was out of Talmudic law, that, how did it go? A guy gets tied, or a guy ties up a guy, and the guy that gets tied up dies. But the guy who tied him up wasn't responsible because the tying up of the man didn't kill him. It was that he starved to death. Yeah. So he didn't have that blood on his hands or this karmic problem was not his. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like what we're seeing here where they echo the reality of things in popular culture and movies and songs and all this stuff. And the problem is, is people have been taught not to be very subtle. Everything that people pick up on is a very gross in your face thing. And you got to learn to turn on your subtle, you know, your subtle antennas because all this stuff is being echoed in everything in movies and news and culture and art. It's just all over the place. I mean, we were just inside watching a uh, subway ad and it came on and said, the new subway stand, it's $6. And I looked at my wife and I said, okay, get ready for the other two sixes. Sure enough, from 6 p.m. every day, we will serve you the $6 sandwich, and you can get six of them. No. You know, that, that kind of thing. No, you can call it. It's predictable. Um, I could see it coming because I understand what media is for. Um, this, is, this is what we're seeing in the present age. Huh. So how about the UFO community then? Have they been pretty, pretty hard on you? Like those, you know, like the, whether it's Open Minds guys or somebody else? Have, uh, have you ever thought about presenting your evidence to, in a conference? Have you done that yet? No, I haven't. You know, people have actually, for the most part, been pretty decent to me up until <laughs> a, few <laughs> a few weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah, um, they really have. There's always people who are shills or they're trolls or they're mean. There's always those people. But on a whole, mostly people have been pretty good to me. Um, I have no complaints. Um, it's been far more decent individuals than attacks. Um since I have said that the moon is not what you think it is, things have changed drastically, but I think there is some hope here because I think if I said this a year or two ago, it would have been a lot worse, and I'm hoping that as a month or two goes by and things simmer down, uh, we'll see what the result of me saying that is. Yeah. So have you been in touch with the other people who have caught it on tape? Like, do you guys um, correspond? Um, I corresponded with them when, uh, they contacted me and thought they had it and gave me permission to run the clips. Um, a couple of them I have talked with, I think via email, but as a rule, most of the time I'm pretty private because so many people kind of want to get into my life and, you know, with, with the internet, what it is, you don't really always know who you're talking to. And, you know, I've had a lot of cases where the people weren't really doing it for good reasons. Huh. So I try to keep very private, I guess, is the way I put it. Um, I'm just trying to do my research, put out what I have come to believe is true. And uh, every time you get in a group, agendas come up and personalities. And I've just kind of found that, for the most part, doing the work by myself spares a lot of drama. Do you, do you, are these other people, though, are they like still monitoring it? Like, is there... Like, you're hard at it. Are you in touch with anyone else, I guess, that's kind of, you know, on the front lines and and kind of, I guess, contributing to your work? Well, I think, you know, at one point, my wife had said to me, um, you should call some of the telescope shops and tell them, um, you know, if you want to put me on the payroll, we're selling scopes for you, uh, which I thought was funny. It was a joke. But the point is, um, I have referred so many people 
um, to their first telescope or given them advice that, yeah, there's a literal army of people who have decided to look up and film and, you know, become more aware of that whole aspect of things. And, you know, I get comments, I get so many comments each day now that I can't even begin to keep up with them. If I did, I wouldn't have time to film. Um, I think some one of my close friends told me how many the Moon Illusion clip just went by. I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, God, how could you even ever even read each one of that many comments? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should go to Skywatch a little bit more, Darren. I ain't like this is kind of getting me. We live in a telescope. I can get I know, it to look at the moon, out. but then it's like clunky, and you bang it, and fuck, it's out of focus. <laughs> it's just a whole production. Is it? And it's like the hours you got to stay up in the summer till midnight. Oh, that's the, the thing. Winter, yeah, it gets dark cold. here at like ten or eleven at night in the summer. So. Yeah, you're but, preaching to the choir, guys. Yeah, yeah, you probably out of it right now. <laughs> yeah, probably a bit of a night owl, huh? Actually, actually, I'm not. But um, you know, you have to be on the schedule that the the big wheel above you is turning. Yeah. So, where can our listeners track you down? Like, are you are you on Twitter or any any place else other than YouTube? Or like, do you have a website? Or is there any any way maybe they can support you? Do you have a, like a donate button or anything like that? Um, I'm primarily on YouTube. Um, I did put up a donate button sometime back um, for viewer requests. I did two things. Uh, the people who had followed me from the beginning wanted me to put out T-shirts, so I did that. They're at cost, by the way. There's really no markup on those because a lot of my followers aren't rich people. Um, and the other thing was they wanted a way to, to support my work, so I put up a link there. Primarily, you can get me through YouTube, and the reason for that is I set up a Facebook account, but just the whole I mean, I got kicked out three times for nothing. Um, really? Finally got, yeah, just because. And then the last time, um, they were giving me a hard time because my name's Crow. And they said, you got to send us an ID. So after I got done with that fight and they let me back in, I went in and deleted everything out of my account. I don't use it to communicate anymore as a protest. Um, I do occasionally let things post through there, but the main point here is if you want to get a hold of me, my YouTube channel is the main way. Private messaging, you know, that kind of thing. Cool. Well, we're going to, I guess we'll uh, start wrapping up here and we'll link to all that in the show notes, of course. And, and uh, yeah, so for all our, the people who are just finishing up this interview and they're heading to your channel right now, what, uh, what are the first three videos they should, they should check out? Well, since what I have done in the past three weeks is no good introduction to me if you're new to everything that I've been saying here, and I totally get that. Um, if I had never heard of this and this was my introduction, I would be looking for the tinfoil hat as well. <laughs> I think a good place for people to start to understand that this is really real research and the number of hours that I've put in to capture things. The boomerang clip is often interesting to people. Um, the shooting orb clip is endlessly interesting to people. Um, there's a whole litany of objects that just traverse the moon. Um, not literally they're I'm sure in low earth orbit, um, but they're very interesting to watch them. Um, those are the places to start. And then when you feel like you want to get bold, uh, check out some of the lunar wave work. And again, you have to go at it with an open mind or it will seem completely foreign and crazy to you, but I assure you it's not a joke. Yeah, I guess, well, you film that yourself, so, I mean, you can vouch for it 100%, and it doesn't seem like you are you have any other real reason to bullshit it. 
No, I basically took a vow of poverty to do what I'm doing now. Um, it, it's about the knowledge here. It's about me trying to demonstrate on video, in high-def video, in a reasonable way that the things you have been told just don't hold water, and it's demonstrable. Can you, could you see, like, can, can a consumer, can you, is there a consumer-grade telescope that you would be able to see the landing site with? Um, you know, even a decent pair of binoculars gives you a good view of the moon. Uh, it's probably hard for most people to hold them stable enough. But small instruments, even just a three-inch telescope, works really beautifully on the moon. You can get a good view of the moon. Um, if you're looking for the lunar wave, I will caution you up front. The first time I filmed it was in fall of 2012. I didn't see it for a year and a half. And then I waited many months more before other people finally realized they had already shot it or shot it, you know, in the time frame they contacted me. In other words, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever try to capture. Has it, uh, is there any evidence that any of the, the, the known captures were simultaneous? Well, there's an interesting one because on 11 9 14, uh, one of the captures was made, and I was going out to film that night, and chem planes had been flying all day, and the sky was closed. So, no, to answer your question, to my knowledge, there has not been a simultaneous capture, but there probably would have been that night had I been able to see the sky, because the gentleman who contacted, I think it was 205 Richard Maria, I hope that's the right one, um, he was shooting that night, and I was going to shoot that night. I just couldn't. Um, they chemtrailed all day, and by the time the evening got here, you couldn't even see a star. But I guess basically, I mean, if you go out there and stare at the moon for a week or two straight for a few hours a night, you're guaranteed to see something weird. Um, well, all the time that we did this interview, I've had my telescope on the moon, and guess what I've seen? Diddly squat? <laughs> Diddly and squat, on both. <laughs> so um, is it so daily or I, once a week or once a month? Like with what frequency, I suppose, are you seeing weird little anomalies? You know, I, I would say for the average person comfortably, because I don't want to mislead anyone, if you put a month in and you went out regularly and you shot for at least an hour or two at a time, it would not be long before you caught something flying. Um, and for people who aren't used to scopes, um, you've got to be able to, if you're in a place where there's a lot of birds, you've got to be able to tell the difference. I have the style scope where that's not a real problem because things aren't in focus until they're some miles away and a bug close to me or a bird is invisible or see-through because it's just that far out of focus. Mm -hmm. But depending on the type of scope you have, uh, one way you can almost always know you've caught an interesting object is to get it into an editor and just put a straight edge under it and see if it flies perfectly straight. Um, most of the interesting objects do, although I have caught a couple that are going straight and then change their trajectory. As a matter of fact, a lot of the UFO community got all excited about those, uh, said, Oh, there, there it is proof. <laughs> they were hollowing proof. That's little green men. <laughs> but, uh, and they are interesting. Uh, just for my money, I don't think that's enough evidence to shout little green men. Yeah, it's 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 so small and and uh, it's hard to tell what it is really, right? I mean, it's it's obviously unidentified, but I need a digital telescope that I can just like it just does it, like one of those Wi-Fi jobs. I see. Where did I see one the other day? Oh, I we're at the museum at the Vulcan. Yeah, in Vulcan. Yeah. Oh. 
well, they're, they're coming. They're coming down in price. But um, and one interesting thing about a lot of the things I've captured is I have captured identifiable satellites. And the funny thing about the satellites that I've captured that I can look up in Stellarium and other places and be reasonably certain that's what it is is first off, they're really fast. <laughs> All the satellites that I've captured are moving across the face of the moon in most of the time a second or less. But they look like satellites. You can see the little solar panel protrusion-looking things. But then there's these other things. Um, they're round. They're black. They often look like they have kind of a magnetic halo. Um, and sometimes I've had some going over the face of the moon for over a minute. And when I say face of the moon, I don't mean they're at the moon. I don't believe I've ever filmed anything um, near the surface of the moon. Matter of fact, I'm certain of it. But having said that, if you go out, you film at least a couple hours at each time you do it, um, it won't be too long before you get something. Yeah, there's a, that crazy one. We just had it up on our, on our TV here, that black object flip-flopping across the moon, and it takes quite a while to get across there. And so what you're saying is that's, that's out there, definitely a few miles out there because it's in some sort of focus, yet it's obviously not you know within the moon's orbit, if the moon even yeah, has an it, orbit. Well, think about it. We're t I don't know if it's true or not. We're told the moon's a quarter of a million miles away, and I know a pixel at, at my for my scope at that distance would be a mile and a third. Um, so it would have to be a big object even to take up one pixel. But um, those objects, if I've posted them on my site, I know for a fact it's not a bug or a bird. And I actually have videos up that show what birds look like. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm in Southern California. We have very few night-flying animals. Matter of fact, a lot of times it's an owl, and it's so damn big you can see the outline of it. Um, but there it is. If it's up, it's been vetted, and I can 98% tell you there's no way that it's a bug or a bird. Mm. Right on, man. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're doing such good work and opening a lot of people's minds and getting people interested in looking up at the sky because finally somebody's capturing some really good quality video. That's what's fascinating. I mean, there's a, a variety of it out there. So thanks for dedicating yourself to this work. Hey, no problem. And for those people who want to go out and look at the sky, I can tell you that we just passed the spring equinox, and this is a very important time of the year. All the way up to Easter, the day of Easter is a huge deal. If you can film the moon during this period of time, even if it's just to go out and take a shot with your camera, do it. Um, all the way up to the summer solstice, um, these are critical times. But from now until Easter is a big darn deal to try to help further the research that I've been doing. So if you have a camera and you just want to go out and take a shot or maybe have more, you want to film a little bit, so any handy cams do a good job of filming the moon, go out and do it, and maybe you'll be surprised. Right on, will do. Good advice, yeah. So and then, and then I guess the solstices are always hot nights, or those areas are are prone anyway. Um, for for the lunar stuff that I'm doing, I think the main game uh, is right at the spring equinox now up till Easter, but the three month period from the vernal equinox that we just had a couple days ago, the day the eclipse was on for some people, um, all the way up to the summer solstice. There is a huge amount of energy being released from the planet, which anyone can see by all the plants blooming and the fruit and just what happens that time of year. But in conjunction with the Russian research, uh, he really confirmed much of what I had been saying about 
the equinoxes, and this lunar phenomena that's called the lunar wave. So right now is the time all the way up to Easter, and if you really want to get into it, a couple months after that. Huh. All right. And then the, and then the fall one, too? Um, the fall one is where I captured it, but the funny thing is, is in his research, he said that the wave absolutely happens in the third phase, where I was saying near full, those two things jive, up until 2012. Fact is, is every capture we've had since has been closer, either right before or right after the spring equinox. There have been a couple that are a bit further away, but closer to the spring equinox than the fall equinox. Huh, interesting. All right, well, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on the skies. Thanks for your time, Crow. Hey, thanks for having me, and I apologize. I was a little rough here. I'm sitting behind the scope trying to catch stuff, and I don't think I'm that good at multitasking. No, you were great, man. Yeah, no, you were great. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to, uh, we'll have, to have you on again down the road, and, and you can fill us in on, on anything new. Oh, I'd love to. And uh, next time we do this, I'll be sure I'm not sitting behind an HD monitor no, it's, my butt off outside. Hey, <laughs> it's all good, man. We were hoping for maybe to capture a little something while yeah, you're on the show. Lunar wave. <laughs> you, you and me both. I'm due. I haven't, I haven't caught a, a transiting object in quite a while now. All right, buddy. Well, thanks a lot. We'll link. We'll send you the. We'll send you the show when it's published, and uh, we'll keep in touch, buddy. Take care. All right. Thanks okay. so much. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye bye. And welcome back to the Grime America show. That was our chat with Crow Triple Seven. That was a fun one, eh? Yeah, it was good. All over the place. Yeah. Yeah, some of it's tough. Tough for me to wrap my head around, but other times, you know. It, it, could, <laughs> it makes sense in a lot of levels. Yeah, a lot of stuff makes sense. A lot of it's too much for me. I think the truth's maybe somewhere in the middle, but who knows? Like, there's nothing, nothing's really off the table, I suppose. Like, none of it would really, I wouldn't say any of it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I, I would be more inclined to think that um, that they made it they made it to the moon, but it wasn't what they thought it was, and then they covered it up as opposed to, like, everything being fake, right? It's hard to imagine all of that being an illusion. You know, maybe, like, the, like I... I could wrap my head around the earth being like uh, not natural, right? Something that was put there like 18,000 years to get the planet out of its ice age, maybe creating tides and like an actual like, what do they call that when you form planets? Terrestrial forming technology or something like that. Terraforming? Terraforming, yeah. I don't know about that. That's, yeah. That'd be like more like geoforming. So, Geo's earth. So I'm looking at uh, the images of the Earth from space right now that Crow told us to go look at. How do they look? Uh, pretty close. I think a lot of them are fake. 
How come I can't get it on there? <coughs> you think they're fake? They're all perfectly round, eh? I wonder if you measured it across the equator, if it would be the same distance, because they say it's supposed to bulge. Definitely doesn't look like a pair, though. Yeah, but see, these aren't... I don't think he's talking about these uh, being from... Like, these images we're looking at, I think they're from Earth's orbit, aren't they? From, like, satellite range, kind of? No, yeah. not, not for the full Earth. Yeah. I don't think a satellite can get a full Earth shot, not yeah. in the Earth orbit. You don't think so? No. Um, hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. Maybe it can. But I don't think so. Who knows? Maybe he's onto the craziest fucking conspiracy ever. Like if NASA's all fucking... All in? All in. And the China too. And the Jade Rabbit as well. Some big huge ministry of propaganda. Maybe Mm. it's been like that forever. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it's more like the... I don't know if it's more like 1984 or like the Matrix. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. 1984 Atrix. <laughs> yeah, big thanks to Crow for coming on the show. Fun one. Um, we'll have to have him on again. Yeah, definitely. He's getting so much good footage, like, really. And I, I trust that he's not just faking it or making shit up. I, I really don't think that's the case. I haven't heard... You know, like I listen to a lot of those UFO podcasts and stuff, and I haven't really heard his stuff being debunked yet. I don't know why it's not getting more attention. That's always a weird thing in the UFO community. It's a fickle bunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we appreciate him coming on. We'll have to talk to him again. Um, uh, again, big thanks to Wayne for the new website. Looks great. If you haven't been over there yet, check it out on your phone, your iPad, your Android. It doesn't matter. It looks great everywhere. Um, he put in a lot of hard work on that. Uh, we appreciate it. Other than that, check out uh, the support page, grandamerica.ca slash support. Check out how you can support the show. Uh, Spam Gram. Spam Gram, grandamerica.com. That's Gram as in G-R-A-H-A-M. Aham. Um, Justin, thanks, Justin, for the newsletter. Sign up your buddies, grandamerica.ca slash news. Uh, you could just... Basically, sit in there and punch in email addresses all day if you wanted. And what's the worst thing they have to do is unsubscribe. That's right. So that's one way to spread the word without having to actually talk to anyone. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't get you in trouble. Yeah. So this week, everyone sign up ten people for the newsletter. That's your homework. Yeah. Just go through your email address and sign them up to the Gray America goodness. Yeah, and then uh, we'll do the rest. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, buddy. See you next week. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, 
every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on the moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Thank you. 